Welcome back, everybody, to the ElfQuest Show podcast. I'm here with Ryan. Hey, Ryan. Hey, David. And we have some very special guests with us tonight. This is not going to be our normal issue review episode. We have none other than Wendy and Richard Peeney here with us themselves. Hey, guys. Hi, guys. <laughs> we are super psyched that you guys could join us again. We had so much fun the last time you guys um, came on the show. And um, we, what we wanted to do tonight is have a conversation about the final quest because we are at the actual halfway mark. And we thought it was a really good time to have you guys back on and maybe, um, you know, have a, a fun discussion and maybe a little bit of reflection on just the final quest as a whole now that we've reached this milestone. Well, we're really up for it, guys, and uh, we're looking forward to this. So, so. yeah, so we've reached uh, the midway point of the final quest. Uh, mm-hmm. How do you, how do both of you feel about that? How does it feel to be at this stage of the uh, the newest installment? Oh Lord, I don't know, like wanting to run and hide and not having to face the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> It's one of those incredibly mixed emotion type feelings because on the one hand, there are times when at least I feel like, oh my God, we're already up to the halfway point and the past three years have gone by like nothing. So there's an implication that, well, the next couple of years are going to be a piece of cake and then either I slap myself or Wendy psychically slaps me yes. and, and, and says, are you out of your mind? Because we've got 12 more issues, two more years, and the work is only getting more and more intense, more and more passionate, more and more involved. Well, it's, it's barreling to it, toward its destiny, which has been planned for so very long. And might I add, for me, it's been four years because we must count the special. Right, right. You know, uh, I, I've been like working steady for four years without a vacation, gang. So I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's actually a, a good lead into the next question that we had. And, and we're really curious to get your thoughts on how you think telling the final quest... Well, both telling the final quest and the actual, you know, just story and subject itself differs from all the past ElfQuest stories that you guys have told. Um, you know, I mean, at this point, you know, what, what do you think the role of the final quest is in the overarching 40-year-old saga? Well, it's very much like working on the classic quest. You know, the classic quest was four volumes. Uh, I think we had originally planned three and then it expanded on account of Will. Mm-hmm. which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this one we knew was going to be four volumes, and uh, it's it's got very much the classic quest feel to us in terms of working on it. I was just telling Richard the other day that I remember when I was working on volume three of the classic quest, it was definitely the darkest hour period of, of the story, a true descent into the cave literally for the characters mm-hmm. you'll remember that 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 was the time in blue mountain right and it opens up literally with strongbow imprisoned in the in the stone cage so yes. talk about 
feeling dark, feeling confined, feeling constricted, wondering what the hell is going to happen next. Yes. So um, I just, uh, issue 13, which I can't wait for you guys to see, and I think you're going to see it pretty soon because we just got the PDF for the lettering. So uh, issue 13 is the beginning of Cutter's descent into the darkest hour and it's symbolized by the dark wild woods mm, and right. i had i had the most wonderful time doing those pages because they're they're unlike anything you've seen the art style is different from anything you've seen so far in in final quest wow yeah <laughs> right, so so that's actually you know one of the reasons why i wanted to ask this question because i really feel like final quest more than almost any other ElfQuest story that you guys have told really does take us into uh, a, a bigger mythical place. Um, you know, that, that it's a role in the overarching ElfQuest saga is, I don't know. Um, you know, I mean, think of, think of a storyline like shards, which was yes. sort of a fun rollicking adventure. I mean, it had, it had darkness and everything, but I feel yeah. like this story is much bigger than that. Oh yes. Well, it, it has to be, doesn't it? I mean, I know there's been discussion online about the recent story, new Star Wars movie mm -hmm. and, and uh, how many people are, are, are observing that it seems to be a bigger, fancier rehash of the first Star Wars movie. Yes. And I, could, I can see how some people would see that. And so I think this can happen to a franchise when it's been running for a long, long time and you kind of want to reboot it. But we're not rebooting here. And Final Quest is not, in any way, shape, or form, a rehash of the classic quest. Uh, we we are definitely upping the stakes in the story and going in directions we haven't gone before. Mm -hmm. See, when so, you when you do a hero's journey in the classic Joseph Campbell sense, you don't reboot the journey halfway through. Mm -hmm. It is a singular arc it is a singular path and we're coming up on the climax of that arc i was going to ask you about that actually about uh joseph campbell and how much influence uh his sort of um explanation of the hero's journey uh has played into elfquest well, we didn't really learn about that till quite a bit later after we had started ElfQuest and then Joseph Campbell's wonderful, um, uh, what was the title of the PBS? The Hero with a Thousand, with a thousand faces. faces, right? A Hero with a Thousand Faces. That came out in the 80s. No, and no, 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 no. Joseph Campbell's book came out earlier than that. I right. think you are thinking of the writer's journey. Well, maybe, but all I know is we had experienced none of that until after we finished the classic quest. Uh, it wasn't until the 80s that I really started to get interested in Joseph Campbell or really was even made aware of him. Mm -hmm. So, um, so did, 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 did that play a role in getting ElfQuest launched? No, but it was terrific to read it later on and realize that we were we were following the hero's journey just by our own instincts. Here, okay. here, is, here is a measure of Wendy's storytelling genius. 
the the original book by Campbell, Hero with a Thousand Faces, came out in 1949, and neither of us were here then, almost, but not quite. <laughs> and but but Wendy's own journey as a storyteller and an artist took her through a lot of classic mythology, and that. Uh, kind of story does tend to follow the mm -hmm. Campbellian view. So you absorbed it without knowing that you were doing it. Sure, the Way West, uh, the, that ancient Buddhist tale. I mean, it's it's got all the elements of the classic hero's journey, especially if you look at it from Goku, the Monkey King's point of view, who who is kind of the one of the central characters in that journey. If you look at him as the hero and follow that that an enormously long full journey um he definitely goes through a transformational arc and is different very different at the end of the story from when he started out well they say that there's only seven or eight uh <laughs> original stories out there right uh, or story yeah. story um, I, patterns and that the, the originality comes from uh how it's told each time. Yeah. You mentioned Star Wars, the new Star Wars. Uh, I just saw it on the weekend, David. I'm sure you saw it on open yep. night at midnight. <laughs> um, I've already seen it twice. But, uh, <laughs> there's a scene in that as well, which sort of represents the descent into the cave. And Wendy, you mentioned that as well. I'm wondering how important that is to um, the hero's journey. And, and in this case with ElfQuest to Cutter, what does that, oh. what does that mean for him to descend into the cave? The, well, oh, Richard, do you want to speak first? Sure, no, I just, I, you know, I, the descent into the cave, uh, I forget how many stages there are to the hero's journey, maybe five, six, or seven, or something like that. But the descent into the cave is absolutely one of the most essential steps to any uh, story of this nature. And, and Wendy, you can, you can take it from there, but... Um, yeah. You cannot have transformation without descent into the cave. This is why a lot of people's lives, every, every human life that is lived is a story. And this is why a lot of people's lives go off track because they're not willing. They're not willing to go into the cave to achieve the transformation and growth that would, would make them their own song fully sung. Um, now, is Cutter willing? I, I, I couldn't necessarily describe him as, as willing. He's just going through it. But, <laughs> but then this has been his nature all along. Cutter has never actually wanted to, to do 99% of the shit he's had to do. Yeah, he's kind of just been thrown <laughs> into it. <laughs> exactly. Right, but, so. but the thing about it is he does make choices at every step of the way. He could yeah. back out at any time. But he always chooses to go forward. All right. Now, let me get into the dangerous territory of Tam to Maine, okay? Okay. Now, here's the thing. We have made this major revelation about Cutter, that he is part of the split soul of to Maine. Um, and a lot of people, a lot of fans seem to be looking at, at it like, well, she's... She's very manipulative. She should have told him this long ago. And I know it's very hard for them to realize this is the same person. This is the same person. Therefore, they know what's right for them at the right time. 
Whether they're willing to go through it or not is another question. The Tamain part of Cutter knew that it was the right time for the revelation because everything is happening, everything is coming to, together. The, the elves who are answering the call are answering the call. And this race of beings is getting ready, if it can, to leave the world of two moons. It's all, it's all galvanizing and all happening, and the energies around it are very powerful right now. So the time was right for Cutter to know what he knows now. The only thing that the Tamain part of him doesn't know is what he's going to do with it now. Because he, the, the, the wolf part of him, the part of him that is fighting to be an individual, she can no longer read that anymore. Because he cut her off, right? Exactly. He, he, he has ripped himself away from this female or this anima side of himself in order to find himself again you know his his mind has been completely blown by this mm -hmm. um, so so of ours <laughs> yes <laughs> so here's the question i asked myself in telling this part of the story in spiritual terms perhaps you've both heard of the higher self and the lower self right yes mm -hmm. okay now, I'm, I happen to be one of those people that subscribes to, yes, I do believe that there is a higher self in each one of us where we come from our highest, our highest motives, our highest women, uh, wisdom, and we are tapped into the source. You know, we are tapped into something that is beyond this earth and encompasses a cosmic truth. That's what I personally believe. I also believe that there is a part of us that is meant to be grounded in the world and to experience time, to experience pain, to experience all those things that turn into lessons for us to help grow our spirit. So my, my desire here in telling the story was to actually literally visualize that and to try to set it up so to get people to ask themselves, what would happen if I actually met my higher self? On this earth, we humans, you know, we might meditate, we might pray, we might try to expand our minds through drugs and all sorts of things to encounter our higher selves. But what if you really did? How would you react? And, and, and so this is the conflict I've set up in the story. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if we have silent pauses, it's because again, we're like soaking all this in and, yeah. and trying to understand it. So I, I thank you for sharing that because I, I think mean, that really does help put a lot of context into here's, where the story is going. Here's, here's a, a more universal, I think, um, example to illustrate what Wendy just said. Did you ever stop to think there are, whole lots of people who subscribe to this religion or that religion or this set of beliefs or whatever. If you ever stop to think, what if the source of that religion yes. in Christianity, it would be Jesus in, in Buddhism, it would be the Buddha, et cetera, et cetera. Have you ever stopped to think how people or a given person would react 
to that embodiment, that avatar actually coming here back to earth, walking around in a body and saying, here I am. What would people do? And there's endless uh, 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 source of um, storytelling material in that. Wendy has taken this particular thing, this particular instance, and spun it out and is continuing to spin it out. Well, humans tend to kill their kill their higher selves. <laughs> and and Buddha even acknowledges it. Buddha says if you meet the Buddha on the road, kill him. You know. <laughs> hey, 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 you know. A lot of these people don't need any more encouragement. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so, so Wendy, you mentioned um, the the sort of animus anima uh, yes. male female dichotomy. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that and maybe explain a little bit about what it is and how it's applying to ElfQuest with the cutter to main relationship? Well, it's a Jungian term that maybe not everybody is familiar with. Carl Jung the great philosopher and psychologist um, uh, came up with the premise that to every human being, there is a male and female side. And this goes back to ancient history, to uh, ancient Greek philosophy about the, her the hermaphrodite, the idea that uh, human beings are definitely both male and female. Um, and, it was Plato. He said that in the beginning, every human was actually composed of both, had four arms, four legs, yes. both yes. sexes. I know and that some... from uh, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. There you are. <laughs> there you go. You well, it goes back to Plato at least. And then something sent the two halves asunder. And ever since, we've been searching for our other half. Yes. So here I am, a female creator. And Cutter is my animus. So that would make me Cutter's anima, his, his female side. So what's my higher self like? It's like Tamane. You know, Tamane is the best I can come up with to what my higher self is like. That's, no, that, so, Wendy, I was going to ask you that question, actually, um, yeah. because you've both said that in the story, your, your in-story avatars are Cutter and Skywise. Yes. Um, so if Tamane is the um, higher self of Cutter, uh, then does she represent an aspect of yourself? Oh, totally. She's, she is uh, what I can imagine... You know, if I were to doff all the earthly trappings, you know, when I get to step across into the astral plane, she's kind of what I can imagine I might uh, contain myself as. So in other uh, words, you'd never wear any clothes at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd have all that hair, wouldn't I? <laughs> well, you see, again, another thing about Tamane, you know, people have often joked about Tamane not wearing any clothes, but there's a very, to me, there's a very powerful reason for that. She is the ultimate rebel against every limitation that that we, we poor human mortals psychologically impose on ourselves. She really doesn't give a shit. 
<laughs> Tamain, Tamain is the honey badger of ElfQuest. <laughs> oh I'll never see her the same again. <laughs> um, no, that's really helpful. Again, um, to it, it helps me wrap my mind around this, um, you know, this sort of deep stuff. You know, I mean, going back to what we were saying a few minutes ago, I mean, this is not necessarily. Um, the kind of stuff that other elf quest tales have, have delved into. Um, I think that's one of the things that makes final quest unique is that not only are we getting action and adventure and, and all the hallmarks of elf quest, we're kind of treading into this, um, uh, this spiritual side of things and, you know, metaphysical side of things and, um, you know, sort of deep stuff. And, and comic books don't do this. And, no. and what, what we're trying to do that is really, really different is to create conflict and suspense and, oh my God, what's going to happen next, not out of violence and people fighting each other and who's going to win the battle, but out of these incredible conflicts of spirit and soul. And, and uh, you know, how do we rise to the occasion in the face of something so big we never even imagined it? Uh, comic books in general cannot take that journey simply because they are ongoing franchises and there are ongoing financial and maybe creative interests involved. So they have to reboot every few years because they have to recapture a new audience. That's why you get a new origin for Batman or a new origin for Iron Man or Spider-Man. Um, and you cannot, you cannot have a, an opera or a play that has an act one, an act two, and then a climactic act three, and then do it all over again. ElfQuest, we're just doing it once. And that's why <laughs> We can take that journey. That's why we can have this the, the descent into the cave that Cutter is going through right now. Well, so with that said, we're also really curious about um, how challenging it's been for you guys having known that this that this descent was coming and this this major plot development of of the Tamain Tam revelation for, yeah. for many years. So so talk about that a little bit and and how challenging has it been to sort of keep that under wraps for literally decades well if i if i can just step in and add to that um how long was this known for amongst the two of you was this something that you knew from the very beginning or did this sort of reveal itself to you as you were uh going on this journey i can guarantee you that it was officially known since the mid 90s before that I cannot honestly say that I remember how much Richard and I talked about it. Um, there was, from the very beginning, and I'm sure you can see it in Volume 4 of the Classic Quest, there was a strange connection between Cutter and Tamain. And that con connection often expressed itself, oddly enough, in his inability to be around her much. Mm. Uh, the times he was able to have her close to him at all times was when she manifested as the white wolf. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, that's when he, his higher self took care of his lower self and kept him alive. Remember, Cutter, who is Tamain's lower self, kept her alive 
while she was in the pit, in, uh, in the troll pit, in the form of the gray wolf. Mm -hmm. His quest, his enthusiasm, his heart, his spirit kept her will to live alive as he went on his first quest. She returned the favor to her lower self by keeping him alive through those 500 years waiting for his family. And then she watched over the cocoons along with the trolls for all those thousands of years until the reunion with uh, the original palace. There's probably a lot of, or I don't want to say a lot of, but there are probably some uh, fans out there who might say, Oh, so you you kind of made it up as you go along. And I, I take some exception to that. As a storyteller, I don't think that you have to know to the last decimal point every step you're going to take every year in the future that you plan on doing the work. Mm -hmm. If you've got a good sense, if you've got a deep connection with the, the story that you want to tell, on a, on a mythic level, some part of you knows that that is there, that well, connection between Cutter and, and Timane. It's there. You don't have to, to say, oh, yeah, here's, here's where I wrote it down in 1979. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I do remember in the course of designing her, thinking to myself, if there is a higher side of me, this is probably how I would envision it. And since Cutter is my animus, you know, and I'm his anima, then if there's a higher side of me that is to main, it all fits. It all makes sense, you know. And, and that's that's a great example to me of, of the sense that I've always gotten. And that is that one of the things that sets ElfQuest apart and your storytelling apart is that unlike many other major fantasies, you know, and I think Tolkien is probably the, the, the poster child for this, you know, where everything was like very rigidly planned and laid out and probably to multiple decimal places in order to build that world and tell that story and everything um, that I think a lot of people assume that that is how you guys have done ElfQuest. And my sense is that you guys have that core there and you do have that plan there and you've, you know, you, you have the, the bigger brush strokes of what ElfQuest is, is and where it's going, but that it's yeah. much more organic than that. And you guys yeah. rely on your intuition so much more than maybe other other stories out there. And frankly, I think that is one of the things that makes ElfQuest so amazing because it is so fluid and organic and intuitive. And you guys don't lock yourselves in in the same way that I think other storytellers do. Well, well I, like you I said, that, go ahead, Richard. There's there's the bigger brush strokes, and then every issue contains the littler brush strokes, and and you know for each issue the littler brush strokes are enough. See, we have to figure out now how every one of these seven hundred damn characters we've come <laughs> up with is going to respond to everything that's going on right now. We have to get this. We have to constantly be hurting this thing and getting it all together to to make a cohesive story and still keep Cutter the the main hero of the story the Beowulf the Balder the the you know any any um hero you want to name in the hero's journey Gilgamesh we have to keep Cutter in that role and yet everything that's around him has to serve that mm -hmm. it and, has 
Go ahead. No, you go ahead now, Pig. Well, see here, Wendy just said the seven, eight hundred characters. And we've been maintaining pretty much since Final Quest began that no one's going to get all their questions answered. Yeah. Not all of those seven or eight hundred characters is going to answer a roll call in the final issue and say, do you want to go or do you want to stay? And they're going to make a choice. There are going to be characters that have been introduced that have played minor parts, maybe semi-major parts, I don't know. Um, and their story is going to be in the background murmur of the larger story of Final Quest. So it's not going to be a case like Tolkien where every single character has uh, a, a, a name and a biography and a, and a beginning. And There will a, be no appendices or anything, right? No <laughs> appendix. No, no, the appendix has been removed and it was a healthy operation. <laughs> well, you know, one of the characters I'm fondest of right now and one of the ones I identify the most with now is Windkin. And this is such a surprise to me because I didn't think he was going to come quite so much to the fore as he has in the story, but he has certainly asserted himself as a really important character. But what I love about him is... Uh, is if I were to describe him in two words, it would be fly free. He um, he makes his choices as to what he's going to get involved in, and he's really quite happy to be filling the role he's filling right now. And he just he's he helps connect everything right now because he can fly. He's he's our alternative to the the palace pods, which Tamain has very wisely told Skywise and Sunstream, you know, we're, we're not going to use these right now. There, and there's a reason behind it. Yeah, I described him in one of the, uh, the earlier episodes as sort of being the ElfQuest version of Mercury, where he's sort of the... Uh, I like that. The messenger of the gods, you know, going yes. from Mount Olympus down to the mortals. And yeah, he sort like of fulfills that role. And Mercury was always a very cheerful character. And, and uh, I love that Winkin is uh, is really this unburdened, unangsty, you know, easygoing, just enjoying his life right now guy. We found him in the desert, kind of in a, in a state of grief and not knowing what to do with his life. And he's so happy now to know what to do with his life. Well, he also, <laughs> and you're not going to notice this, you're not going to know this until issue 13 comes out, but there's another aspect to Mercury. Mercury is like Loki. Mercury is a bit of a trickster. <laughs> well, the word mercurial, right, is derived yes. from mercury. So. Yeah, and that's all I'm going to say. Okay, I'm looking forward yes. to that. I, I really am enjoying the this burgeoning relationship between Winkin and Aurori. Um, it, it was great to see their first encounter, or I suppose it's their second encounter, um, yes. as adults. Uh, yes. Both of them. And uh, it was I was anxiously looking forward to that. And I was pleased to see it actually come to fruition in the story. Well, whenever I touch a Rory's personality and work with her in the story, I just get this tremendous sense coming over me of just tremendous age. And uh, the the way she can remain an integrated being is 
is to be aware of that age, but at the same time to do her best. And I think this is why she loves the Wolf Riders. She does her best to live in the moment, even as old as she is, with all the memories she has. And um, a character like Winkin, who is doing a great job of living in the moment, who is at least as old as she, or, or close to as old as she, in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, no, she, he's not as old as she, but he's, he's, he's old. Let's mm-hmm. put it that way. Um, uh, you know, he does a very good job of living in the moment, and she's enjoying that. Um, she, I think her attitude pretty much is that some, you know, she'll probably answer the call of the palace eventually because she is an immortal and she certainly hears it. But right now she's enjoying who she is and what she's getting to do. Well, I just just had a thought and this is one of those what if things that, uh, you said (laughs) that Aurori is, despite being ancient essentially and having, all of those memories, which are little slices of time, she stays sane by living in the moment. And I'm thinking back to Cutter going nuts because Rayek took him out of living in the moment. Oh, yes. Back in Hidden Years Nine and a Half. Yes. And I'm just picturing a kind of a uh, sitting over coffee between Cutter and Rory about <laughs> that very thing. <laughs> Well, you know what? You guys had that great little interaction between them, um, Cutter and Aurori, in Dreamtime. Um, yes. That I think kind of touches on what what you're saying there, Richard. That yes. uh, I can't remember the exact um, words, but it was basically like you know Aurori, you know, because she intruded on everybody's dreams, really could understand Cutter, and the two of them had this like moment of a of a of a bond that no one else really shared, and I thought that was really kind of cool. See, thank you. Thank you for remembering that and addressing that, David, because that was done very deliberately. It's a very sweet uh, relationship between the two of them, between mm-hmm. Cutter and Aurori. Wendy, I wanted to ask you, speaking of Aurori and Dreamtime, um, does Aurori dream now? Good question, kiddo. <laughs> <laughs> so I take it I'm going to have to wait and see? <laughs> that, that, that is a classic last <laughs> peeny answer right there <laughs> all right <laughs> next, next question next question okay all right well so so um you know going back to our notes here you, we've actually kind of wandered in to a lot of the things that we wanted to ask about about you know cutter and Tamane and their nature and all that um yes. so um i i guess you know I, I i already said this but i do want to come back to it and and press you guys a little bit more just for um, a little bit more info if you're willing to share about just the, the, the challenge of weaving this major thing, the, you know, the Cutter um, and Tamain connection in the story with all of the little hints. And in the most recent issue, I mean, you basically kicked the issue off being like, look at what we put in here and we haven't said a word about it in literally decades <laughs> until right now. I mean, that had that had to be incredibly challenging and difficult and and so i'm just curious about your thoughts on that no i think i think you're mischaracterizing it it was fun (laughs) it was fun i I, you can't imagine how much i loved putting that little bit from kavi in there saying i'll see your sweet body in the palace (laughs) you know richard go ahead Oh, no, I, I, I didn't want to interrupt. I just, um, I also think that there's a little bit of a misconception that um, 
for all of the years leading up to Final Quest, we, or, or mostly Wendy, um, have been very consciously aware of the hints and the, the, the little allegations here and there leading up to Final Quest. Working all of those years on the different series that lead up to Final Quest has been a lot of fun in itself. And I can recall that there have been conversations that Wendy and I have had when we're just wool gathering and spinning out what, uh, what might come next, um, where we talk about, in a very sort of far-off, general, vague way, that here's something that's going to play out later. But then whatever that is doesn't sit there like, you know, a bad meal on your stomach <laughs> and weigh us down while we're doing the, while we were doing the then current work. Now it is both fun and infuriatingly frustrating to gather all of those bits and pieces together. Fun because we get to play with you guys <laughs> and make everybody crazy. Frustrating. You do a very good job at that. <laughs> Thank you. Work here's done. Uh, frustrating because as Wendy said earlier, there's a lot of characters, there's a lot of threads, there's a lot of details, and I don't think we can get them wrong but I think it's possible to get them not as nicely done as they could be just because there's a lot of work. There's some heavy deadlines. The clock is ticking on this and uh, it, it takes a lot of energy. I know, but that's our bet noir that we are constantly in battle with. Um, issue, tw issue 12 is going to be known as the issue of the color gaffes. <laughs> which, uh, which is going to be now that had a lot to do with Sonny's schedule Sonny suddenly got a whole bunch of new things to do at Funimation that just absolutely ate into his coloring schedule for issue 12 and as a result he had to kind of bomb through it and and uh, meanwhile, Richard and I were busy bombing through the, the Flesk books and, and all kinds of different things at the same time we were trying to get issue 12 done. And so these coloring gaffes got past us, got past Sonny, got past our editor at um, Dark Horse, and it was just one of those things. Now, the nice and, thing about, about Dark Horse is, of course, they're gathering up each six-issue chunk into a, uh, a collected volume of Final Quest, so we know. I mean, we have been granted a little bit of mercy. Uh, we get a second chance, and yes. so in the collected uh, volumes of Final Quest, things like like coloring goofs and and uh, a missing lodestone or whatever, <laughs> we get to correct them. I think the most embarrassing thing is is Lita's missing sleeves, and I'm I'm entirely responsible for that because doing the pages out of order, there were times when I didn't draw the sleeves in, and times when I did, and and Sonny didn't pick up on that, and you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, I, I I just want to give you guys props for 
you know, for, for, I guess, owning it and, and sharing it. I mean, it would have been easy to just sort of sweep it under the carpet and not call attention to it, but it just deepens my respect for you guys that, you know, you said, Hey, we goofed and you owned it, you put it out there. And, and honestly, um, Ryan and I didn't even talk about that in our issue review episode, uh, for issue Did number 12. Really not? No, no, because no, I didn't even really notice it until it was brought up. But I, I mean, have to spend at least an hour on it. No, no, no. I mean, no. that's the point. I, that's the point I'm trying to make. I mean, you, it happened. You guys owned it. I just don't see any need. I didn't feel any need to belabor it and, and nitpick it apart in the podcast. Um, you know, I mean, it is what it is. And, you know, you guys yeah. are, are human. And, and I don't think anybody, you know, faults you. And, you know, whatever. You know, it, we all have little things like that that happen oh, in our I, work. I mean, Lita and, was yeah. just having hot flashes, right? And she took her sleeves off. Yeah. So. <laughs> She she kept rolling them up and rolling them down. Yes. That was what happened. <laughs> you no, know, we'll trade it. We'll trade a hundred missing sleeves in lieu of one missed storytelling bet. There you go. Yeah, but going back to Star Wars for a second, I was just kind of jazzed to see Ray wearing those same kind of uh, glove sleeves. Yes. Oh yeah, I totally and, noticed that. And I'm like, I came up with those last year. <laughs> well, so, I think Wendy, you went to see it. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Did you enjoy it? We, we well, both you, did. Oh, you great. can read. Uh, you can read my thread on um, on my page and on Facebook. Okay, I will do that. I'm looking forward to it. Please do. I had fun. That's what I'll say. Good. Good. Yeah. Yes. But um, anyway, I'm just always jazzed when I see something I've designed months before show up. In some kind of pop culture fantasy, I'm like, I did that first. <laughs> well, I, I no. that, that's what I was just going to say. I think you are tapped in on a uh, in a way that um, you know is kind of magical to uh, you know. I don't know. It's the whole collective consciousness thing, and you yeah. you just get some of the stuff and you manifest it in your art and get it out there. Um, and it, it's it, it like it's so right, and it just it's kind of amazing. Well, I feel very plugged in. It, it, and again, this is this is very much how Cutter feels right now. I feel very plugged into the world as it is. I'm very conscious of what's going on. Uh, unfortunately, conscious in a very raw way, uh, you know, since I was personally touched by the violence in San Bernardino, and I'm still I'm still working through that emotionally. Um, so the world is very, very much with me, but at the same time, there's this other part. There's there's ElfQuest with its, with the huge mythological ideas we're dealing with right now that takes me, really takes me to another realm. And uh, and so I, I feel very much my high side and my low side kind of coming together right now, just like what Cutter is going through. Art imitates life, or life imitates art. The, yes. the end. <laughs> well, you've always said that about the story, um, both of you, that it reflects aspects of your real life, and it's sort of, um, you interpret it symbolically through ElfQuest. Yes, yes. And it's interesting that you said that, because it's almost as though things that are happening in real life are happening organically, and they seem to fit with what is happening as you tell the story as well. I know I was I mentioned to Richard the other day because this wasn't planned and I and I posted something about it on the fan page 
my life has been touched by gun violence twice since 2012. A very dear friend of mine took her own life in 2012. And then this year, uh, a friend of mine was killed in the San Bernardino shooting. So my life has been touched twice fairly recently by gun violence. And the fact that gun violence is in the forefront in ElfQuest right now is, is the most amazing coincidence to me because we did not plan it out in any way for, for this to be brought to the forefront. But, but life is most certainly, uh, or, or I should say art is most certainly imitating life right now. Mm -hmm. I would disagree with that. Oh? Yeah. Art, insofar as it means ElfQuest, is not imitating life. Because something you told me that I shall not repeat because it's premature, but there's a reason for what's happening right now in ElfQuest that you have told me about years and years ago that is very, very mythic, that goes back uh, uh, to, to fairy tale and mythological roots that are hundreds, if not thousands of years old. Uh -huh. And what's happening in the world now and in, in the United States particularly right now is uh, a manifestation of some festering thing, some boil that needs to be lanced really, really quickly. But the coincidence of gun violence with respect to what is happening and what's going to happen in Final Quest, you were, you were telling me about that a long time ago. Well, from the very beginning, because it, it's, I know what Richard's talking about here, guys, and I don't mean to be teasing. <laughs> I have no you. idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Well, you see, in, 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 in a couple of years, yeah. people are going to point back to this podcast and they're going to say, son of a gun. <laughs> That's okay with us. <laughs> they do this back then. So, so uh, um, again, it's it's not that the art of the storytelling and 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 visual storytelling of ElfQuest is imitating what's happening in culture today. It's that it is a um, one of those eerie coincidences that that we're going through as a, as a country. We're going through our own dark tunnel, uh, our own descent into the cave. Yes. And heaven only knows what is going to come out. Hopefully it is yes. somebody who, uh, a, a culture that has been transformed for the better. But in ElfQuest, this particular facet of that descent and transformation has been in place for years. Richard's absolutely right. And, you know, we've been doing this for close to 40 years now. And Richard and I have seen tumultuous times in the world's history in those 40 years. Uh, you know, ElfQuest was born in, in the middle of uh, tremendous political unrest and uh, the Vietnam War and, and uh, you know, all of those things that, that launched uh, brand new words in the vocabulary uh, for, for, for new attitudes and, and, um, new things to be fought against. Uh, and, and those were, those were scary times, but I will tell you truthfully, we have never seen times of such fear and darkness. And this has to do with the, 
with the interwebs. This has to do with uh, social networking and, and the, the glut of information that's out there. People are scaring themselves to death in a way they couldn't back in the 70s because information simply didn't get out that fast. So, so people are frightened like Richard and I have never seen people frightened before. Yeah, and you know, it's. Um, I have to give you guys uh, just a moment of, uh, of of thanks, really, because if it weren't for ElfQuest, for me personally, it it would be so much harder to navigate all of everything you were just talking about, Wendy. And I always go back to the panel of Nightfall in Kings of the Broken Wheel, right after they discover that the, you know, right after the pal- Rick steals the palace, and they realize that this could mean that they're about to be wiped out, and she says. You know, I'm not going to live in fear. You know, we're still here. And I just keep that with me when I feel overwhelmed and I feel, um, you know, just sort of beaten down by all the horror in the world today and all the strife and conflict and everything. Um, And so, you know, whether you meant to or not, you're you're helping. I'm sure if I'm having that experience, many, many, many others who have read ElfQuest and experienced it are, are taking away positivity like that. And so, so thanks. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. It's interesting that you mentioned the internet because ElfQuest essentially has its own version of that now with Sunstream, who who he's connected everyone. And um, what's what's interesting about that is that the elves through Sunstream it brings them together. Whereas what you've said about the internet. For us here um, and social media, it seems to be driving a lot of people apart. Well, there's a difference. The elves too. It's doing that to the elves too. Clearly, isn't it? Pulling them apart. There's a little bit of a difference. There's a little bit of a difference in that Sunstream is the the nexus. He is in contact theoretically with every elf and every elf spirit on the world of two moons, but he's not thank. Every deity there is. He's not like Facebook. (laughs) In that, every one of those can communicate with every other one of those. That's not happening. Yeah. Sunstream is, I believe, uh, serene enough and advanced enough and in control enough so that he's not simply a passive conduit He's not the uh, uh, Napster of uh, the world of two moons whereby anybody can talk to anybody else just through him. He does, I'm not quite sure, you know, what the technicality of it may be, but he does kind of damp everything down. Well, I think it says either in issue 10 or 11, I don't remember exactly, that he is aware of all elves on the planet, but he is not aware of their suffering. Mm. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and that's a mercy. And that came from Tamain and Saba's training. And 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 as a result, it's not like uh, 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 there's this constant chatter all the time. Even he has filters. Yeah. He did experience that right when he first forget the story when they went back to the Holt. Um, and Sunstream confronted the pool of dark magic. For for a while, the thoughts of all elves were sort of, uh, he couldn't control it. Um, yes. But he seems to have overcome that now, and he's able to, like yes. you say, Richard, to be uh, in control of, of that amount of psychic uh, feedback. 
Well, it wasn't until he was in that kind of control what was he ready to send out the call. That's why it took so many years. Mm-hmm. Makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because again, I think about, um, you know, when he heard the, the cry from beyond in Kings of the Broken Wheel and how, you know, as a kid, how that just completely batter stormed him and, you know, had no ability to really cope with it. And now we see him today yeah. um, in, in, in pretty much supreme control of it, which is kind of phenomenal. And, and, and yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's obvious when you say it, that that's, that's what, one of the things anyway, that he was learning from yes. his mentors, um, to, you know, in order to be able to do that and do it in a way that didn't shatter him. So it makes sense. Exactly. He was born with the power, but he was not with, born with the power complete and unshatterable. Mm-hmm. He had to grow into that. And, uh, you know, so for everybody saying, oh, my God, you know, why did it take him so long to send out the call? That's why. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. And that is the difference, going back to Ryan's comment about what Wendy said about the Internet, that it's not a... a um, a good analogy or, or, or analogy or a good uh, mirror image. Um, we are blessed and cursed with uh, we get a- as much as we can stand and more every second of every day if we want to do that. And unless we just turn the thing off, yes, we can't mm-hmm. escape it. That's the only power we have is to walk away from it. Mm-hmm. You know, but on, on the world of two moons, they're not in constant point-to-point contact like that all the time. Otherwise, it would be just as crazy as what we've got here now. No, and in, stra- in strange anticipation of all that, uh, the Wolf Rider's use of the soul name to protect the self from unwanted invasive thoughts or sendings. Well, how it- long have we been, we've been calling the soul name a firewall? Wow. A firewall, exactly. Yeah, I never thought of it like that, but it's true. It is a firewall. And there you are. Yeah, <laughs> Richard finished my sentence for me. That's exactly where I was going. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it, it, that all makes sense. And I think, um, but I do think that there is is an analogy between Sunstream and what's happening in the final quest and and the sort of the, the leaps in Communica- communication technology in the real world because I mean if you think about the the I don't know just sort of the bigness that the world that the characters are living in uh, was back in the times of the the classic quest or you know really even up until the times of the final quest it just seems like everything is 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 getting bigger and it's yes. accelerating and and the the characters are are having to respond to that and I think there, yes. I think it is analogous to how we in the real world are responding to that same thing with our connectivity. Well, the finding of the palace was the finding of the internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I'm you know, and then again, this is analogous to my life because I came to the internet rather late in life, and <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, uh, there was a long time uh, before that, I mean, through Kings of the Broken Wheel and, and much of Shards, where I was not internet savvy and I, I was not exposed to all of this. So, again, it's just uh, another amazing coincidence that, that once I became internet savvy, uh, you know, there the elements of the story were, and the finding of the palace and the palace's proximity and the, fec- the effect it has on every elf who is in proximity with the palace 
is, uh, you know, can definitely be said to be analogous to the Internet and human beings. There's a monstrous, monstrous, monstrous satire in here somewhere. There just has to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need to pull in, uh, what was his name, Nat Gertler, um, to do oh. some sort of funny spin on this. Or frankly, Sonny, I'm sure, could come up with some fascinatingly hilarious cartoon that captures that whole idea. He you certainly know. could, but I do remember posting somewhere that the scroll of colors, you cannot Google it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems, like, it seems like Tim Ayn can, and maybe Oric as well. No, well, no, no not, not even they can go to the scroll of colors and, and start it turning and manipulate it so it shows them a given thing at a given time. They just have to sit there and read. If they Google, if 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 uh, Tamane Google's the scroll, she's getting an infinite number of hits, all of which are equally ranked. Oh. <laughs> and so, which one do you choose? So, speaking of the scroll of colors, um, you know, t tell us more about what's going on with it and how it works, and 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 you know, what is Auric doing, and how does Tamane see it, and you know, it, it's such a. Um, a magical thing that I think is hard for us to wrap our minds around. So I'd love to get your thoughts on it. Well, we're not going to tell you too much. Of course but, not. But, but. There's, probably, there's probably a Wendy explanation, which is more artistic and spiritual, and then a me explanation, which is more <laughs> techie. And the two of them together make the whole. So you go. So I think so. Well, first of all, what Auric is doing is pretty much what he did with the egg. Um, what's interesting about Oric is he, I think you could, could safely call him a visionary. Oric, when he was egg, would envision, uh, the history of the elves. He was tapped into something. Uh, you know, he was, he was sort of tapped into a universal elf consciousness and what he picked up on, he would put in the egg. And so the egg was constantly changing the shape of the egg, you know, and, and gliders could sit there and read the egg and slowly watch the egg being changed as Auric would reshape it to add more and more of, of the history and what he was picking up on. This would be a heck of a, a, a visual thing for somebody who was really versed in uh, CGI to take Wendy's drawing of the egg back from the original quest and then have it continuously morphing and each tendril yeah. growing and shrinking. And that would be a heck of a thing to see. Well, I know it's possible to create gifts like that. Maybe somebody will do that. Please don't tempt us with ideas of an animated <laughs> film. Right <now>. <laughs> <laughs> We've been down that road so many times. No, 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 no. no. Just... There's another solution to it, Ryan. Richard and I are constantly talking about it. Obviously, ElfQuest can't be a single movie. It, it obviously can't be. And the ideas that we're talking about right now, these sorts of ideas don't go into movies. But there's, uh, there's other things it can be. And, and Richard and I are constantly talking about these other things that can be. And I think the, the, the positive side of our experiences with Hollywood is we've learned what we don't want. And that's pointing, constantly pointing us toward what we do want and helping us form a picture of that. Right. 
sometimes that's the most important thing is yeah. to find out what doesn't work. Yes. And what you don't want. Yeah. Yes. So back to the scroll. So that's what Oreck was doing when he was egg. So it naturally he immediately took to the scroll of colors when he came up into the palace. And he's having a ball right now. <laughs> but he's um he in a way he's contributing to it, but he's he's able to easily turn it just like he was able to turn the egg and he can certainly read it. But uh, but in his own way, he's contributing to it because he's still plugged into that universal elf consciousness that he was always plugged into. I see the, you know, taking it a little bit into tech, I see him as, as Egg when he was doing his thing in Blue Mountain. The Egg was a, a small... Um, mirror of the scroll of colors it kind of had to be yes because first of all egg um while he was a visionary for the entirety of the world of two moons that vision had to have been stunted simply by virtue of the millennia that they were all st all the gliders were stuck in blue mountain and under to one degree or another winnowill's thrall so the egg was maybe one site on the entirety of the web, which is the scroll of colors. And now he has the whole thing available to him and his skill in reading and manipulating the stone egg serves him well in reading and interpreting the scroll of colors. But I think he's still not where Temain is. That's absolutely right. And in terms of interpreting the scroll of colors, that is a near impossibility. You can interpret something that you perceive in the scroll at any given time, but you can never, ever interpret the whole thing. I, I will say categorically right now, it is not possible, no matter how much time you have, no matter how long your immortal eternity is, it's not possible to read all of the scroll because just like the egg, it's constantly shifting and changing through the butterfly effect. So I think we've talked about this yeah. somewhere on the, the ElfQuest fan page or the official page or the website or, or something. Um, this is getting into the whole quantum notion, the whole Heisenberg uncertainty principle notion that you just can't pin stuff down exactly mm -hmm. and every time you do something it has as wendy said a butterfly effect and the effects magnify the further away you get in space and time mm -hmm. so the scroll to the extent that it can be drawn to be printed in four colors on a paper page uh <laughs> represents a kind of ever-shifting, infinite, um, infinitesimal quantum foam of probabilities. And that's why um, I forget if it was, was Tomaine or somebody else said, we've seen one thread. There yeah, is yeah. the possibility of one thread that can have this effect, but that's just one thread out of an infinite number, and it's only a possibility. Right. That's when Oryx says... Uh there is a thread of color that suggests what you have done has destroyed him. Right. right. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, it, that's a very powerful thing for Auric to have said. And we're going to see how that plays out. But she responds by saying that's one of the threads that I've seen. But are all of those threads true? Like, in the, in, have, have they happened? What did I say to you before? What that's, is... That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> is... Um... In the box, is Schrodinger's cat alive or dead? Yeah, right. Uh -huh. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I Ryan, you should know better than to ask questions like that. I know, I know, but I, I'm trying my best, David. Come on, give me some credit. <laughs> All right, I, I can answer. I can give a little bit. I will say something to drive you crazy, though. Okay. It's entirely possible that the entire 40-year uh, ElfQuest saga is just one thread in the scroll. <sighs> <laughs> Dead silence. I love it. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Wait till, <laughs> wait till they listen to this episode. <laughs> Richard, what were you going to say? Oh, I was going to answer. And you know, is are are all those threads true? And I was going to say they are all as more or less true as any others of them. <laughs> well that answered it <laughs> oh all right so let's bring things back down to the you know the 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 lower planes here um we've got um some questions that maybe are a little bit more specific and grounded about some of the different characters and uh in final quest and some new some old and so um just to pick one to start with um I am dying to know more about the scary elves um, that <laughs> many of us have started calling the tree elves, but huh. have I learned did. that that's not really an accurate term for them. And obviously we're going to learn more about them, but what can you tell us about them now? David, yeah. it's been nice knowing you. <laughs> if you are in fact dying to know more, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to die. Where you're, you're going to die. <laughs> no, they they are the fungus among us. Yes, so they are not ants. No, they are not no. ants. Everybody, please make note. <laughs> All right, here's. I will give you this much, and I I promise you it will drive you crazy, but I won't give you any more than this. And I'm 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 listening to every word because if I have to bring the hammer down on what she says, I'm going to do it. <laughs> we we used to think that Cutter's greatest fear was a fear of great heights, falling from a great height. Eh. You ain't you ain't seen nothing yet. Whoa. <laughs> uh -oh. Yeah. All right. We, we used to think that was his greatest fear. It ain't necessarily so. Uh huh. Mm. Well, obviously, you're. We're not going to get any more out of you. So, Ryan, why don't you ask one of the other questions before I, you know, I start melting here? Question. Uh, <laughs> but I'm curious about you guys. You know, there have been so much speculation about these mysterious, scary elves. You know. Well, so, so so I I'm drawn to them. Um, you know, yes. I think they're 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 beautiful in a very um, both organic and creepy kind of way. But they're 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 obviously nature spirits, and uh, you know, you guys know me. I'm you know I'm immediately plugged into that. 
Um, they do have a danger, a, a, a sort of dangerous vibe about them. Ryan, I'm, I'm pretty sure you have a little bit more of a sinister vibe that you get. Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. From them. Yeah, I, I'm yeah. getting a sense of something sinister about them. Um, I don't know if that's just by virtue of their design and uh, what they look like, or if uh, it's something else I'm picking up on as far as... Um, I mean, we, we have hardly seen them. We've just seen them in that one depiction when the call was sent out, but um, even... Well, you've all seen them on the cover. On the cover, exactly. And, uh, and from both of those scenes, but even from the first depiction of them, from the call, I just got this sense about them that there was something um, that might be dangerous well, that's that's the one thing I think that I don't want to speak for both Wendy and myself that 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 I love most about ElfQuest. That almost every bit of it, whether it's a a bit of writing or a bit of artwork, provides a mirror for whoever is looking at it or reading it. We get comments on Facebook, we get comments in letters of, uh, that, that people email us, uh, email to us, and um, how they interpret this or that. It's so much fun to speculate on the person who's making the comment and why they chose to interpret something a certain way. David is tapping into something nature spirit. Ryan is tapping into something that feels sinister. It's the same picture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think part of but what my that's what sorry, go ahead. That's what ElfQuest does. Yes, it definitely. Everyone uh, brings their own self to the story, and like you say, it's a mirror that's reflected back. I think part of um, the sense that I'm I'm feeling from these beings. Uh, is linked to the idea of what David is bringing up with um, ancient nature spirits and how they could be very fickle and um, perhaps dangerous. Uh, if you look back in folk of the, uh, the fae folk or uh, elves even, um, or the green man, um, you know, you had to watch how you behaved around these beings because they could turn on a dime and suddenly go from being benevolent to extremely malevolent. Totally. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like <laughs> Mother Nature can be a real bitch sometimes, you know, and like if you if you study nature and, um, you know, connect with nature in any way, you know, that's one of the first lessons you learn, um, you know, that you have to respect it because yeah. it can chew you up and spit you out and that will be the end of you and yes. I and I, and I and I get that from these characters but I, I don't know maybe it's just a testament to the 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 beauty that Wendy infuses every time she puts you know pen you know brush or you know pixels to to paper but I just there's a beauty to them that that draws me to them even though I do get a sense of 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 fickleness or danger or you know so but well, here's the thing here's two the- things two things the- first of all whether you respect nature or not, it often doesn't make a difference. True. <laughs> Mother Nature Mother Nature has no intent. Yes. And the second thing is you're both right. <laughs> I can sort see of. this is also gonna get us nowhere. <laughs> Sorry, Richard, you've been trying to get a word in there. 
Oh, no, 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 no. It's just that, you know, Wendy's correct. You are both sort of in a ballpark. It's not the same ballpark. Um, but nature has no intent. It has no mind. It is a force. And, and, and Ryan, you mentioned fairy tales. Fairy tales, just like, like earlier myths, were our attempt to explain what was going on lightning thunder that must be god's being angry or or throwing hammers or whatever but lightning and thunder just are and there are explanations that have nothing to do with whether we're here to observe them or not yeah what happened to rafael has no reason right so so everything in ElfQuest, including these gnarly (laughs) dudes and dudettes um (laughs) that everybody is fixated on. Um, However we interpret them, that's really our reaction to them because they don't necessarily have anything to do with how we see them or react to them or think we know them or, or would like to try to label them. Yeah, we're really asking a lot of the readers right now, and we're fully aware of this. There, there are a lot of people right now that are pretty frustrated with us because we're not comforting them the way that we used to comfort them with the story. And we're, we're well aware of that, but we're in a phase of the story. You know, when you go to the darkest hour, when you go through the journey through the cave and the hero's journey, it is not meant to be a comforting experience. Right, uh, and... And we're definitely, you know, I mean, that's, I've, I've said this a couple times already. I mean, I'm not reading ElfQuest just because it, you know, it's, it it's, makes me feel good. And I'm not reading it because it's always an easy thing to read or it makes, it's comfortable. You know, like a lot of, a lot of what you guys have put into ElfQuest over the years is challenging. And that's part of my enjoyment of it. And so I, I get that. Great. Well, if, we are- we're so fortunate to have you guys doing this podcast. I've, I've said this over and over again. I really think that sometimes when readers experience something that just makes them feel totally uncomfortable and wondering whether or not they trust ElfQuest anymore, they, they go to the podcast and listen to it, and all of a sudden they feel like, okay, maybe I can still trust it. <laughs> well, that, that brings up, see, ElfQuest is entering a phase right now where um, occasionally, very, very occasionally, a comment will cross the radar screen that says, I, I just don't think I want to read this anymore, or I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Godspeed. But ElfQuest is entering a phase where it's going to take work. It's certainly taking work for Wendy and me, and mostly Wendy, to produce it and it's going to take work on the part of the reader to chew it and digest it and make sense of it. Mm-hmm. We're asking a lot, and we're fully aware of that. No, that's so. Um, again, having you guys on and and sharing that with us is is pretty huge. And I think it's something that we're all getting intuitively. But um, you know, it, it, in a strange way, it's it is somewhat reassuring to hear that mm-hmm. you're deliberately torturing us and making us work to get understand your story. <laughs> we didn't just imagine it. So that's it's good and, it's good to get at least that assurance. No, <laughs> and this is news how? 
<laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> what did Richard say? And this is news how. <laughs> <laughs> I know, we should be used to it by this point, but. Yes. No, you're not imagining things. Things are getting very unsettling. <laughs> well, and, and that's something that I, that I, that I think is important to, to say. Um, and in fact, we talked about it in the, the last episode of the podcast is that, you know, when I see some of those reactions that you mentioned, Richard, where people are saying, I, I, this, you know, I can't do this. Like I, th this is not what Elfquest is to me or whatever. Um, yeah. you know, my response to that is that's okay. You, you know, like no one is making you, no one's forcing you to, to read ElfQuest or say that you're an ElfQuest fan. And if, you know, the story is not speaking to you, then it's okay for you to not force yourself to read it and move on to the next thing. You know, Godspeed, as you said, Richard, um, you know, I think that there's this, th there's a lot of like anxiety in, in among fans. And I think it might be just fans in general, but it's like, there's almost like a fear of like, what if I don't like it? And there's this whole added stress that people put themselves through. And, you know, it's like, I mean, I think of you guys and your journey with superhero comics. You know, at one point in your lives, you were huge fans of them. The, the, the stories and the way that they were told and, and the world of comics changed. And you guys didn't, you know, wring your, your, your hands and, and be angsty over that, that, the fact that it didn't really appeal to you anymore. You kind of got on with your lives and did the next thing. Yes. And, you know, if that's what people you know, some Elfquest fans have to do, I, my attitude is so be it because, you know, there's no point in, in, in forcing yourself to read something that you don't like anymore. So uh, now on the flip side of that, again, to Richard's point, I feel like it, don't give up so easily. You know, I mean, we're in the middle of this story, at least read it through. I just, you know, like I, per, for, for curiosity's sake, if nothing else, before you make those, those final judgments and, and, and these, these sort of declarative statements about, well, this sucks now or whatever. It's like, huh? you know, give it a chance, have a little bit of faith people. Um, so anyway, that's one, brilliant, David. And, and, and one of the most difficult things to do to accomplish, especially in these times is to keep an open mind. People, some people have been reading ElfQuest a long time and it might be veering from the direction that they would like it to go or that they're hoping it goes. And based on this or that issue, they're saying, oh, this made me feel bad. I, I don't trust it anymore. I don't want to read it anymore. And David, you were very uh, uh, prescient to say, uh, you know, stick with it, to which I would add, okay, that issue felt bad. That's one issue out of two or three hundred that we have produced over the last 40 years. Just keep an open mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because this is not like a mini-series. You know, um, I'll always regret having read The Killing Joke, uh, Alan Moore's uh, The Killing Joke. Uh, maybe you guys haven't ever seen that. I wouldn't recommend that you do. You'll be sorry if you did. <laughs> I haven't. But um, it's, it's an absolutely brutal, dehumanizing experience to read. At the time that it came out, it was, it was hailed as being very daring and, and uh, pushing the envelope as far as, as comics could go back then. 
but it hasn't held up well over time. And, and even Alan Moore has admitted that in the long run, he's, he's sorry that he ever did it because it was done purely for shock value. It was done in order to take things as far as could possibly be gone in the comics medium at the time. And the, sh and the shock certainly did reverberate throughout comics fandom at the time and and there was much discussion about it and it and I'm sure it performed exactly the way DC Comics would have wanted it to perform but in the long run an awful lot of people regretted that they read it because it, it's just not imagery you want to hold mm. in your mind mm. and um, I'm not saying it should never have been done I would rather unread it if I could the thing of it is as artists, we never know when we're going to do something that's going to affect somebody that way. You know, uh, I dare say we've done things in the past, in the distant past with ElfQuest, that there, some very sensitive soul might wish they could unread. So there are different levels of ability to experience challenging material. But um, Richard and I do have our own... Uh, sense of what would be jumping the shark um, without telling you specifics. Richard, you might want to tell this story. Remember when I sat you down and told you something I wanted to do next issue? You know, that happens fairly frequently. Yeah. And, and if I ask you for a hint, we can't do that because we have two other people. <laughs> it's okay, I can edit it out. Ryan and I will put our fingers in our ear, right? No, I will just say, I know you'll remember when you say, you told me, you advised me, that would be jumping the shark. Oh, yeah. Oh, now I want to know what it is. <laughs> well, maybe someday when Final Quest is all done and we're sitting around and maybe maybe doing another podcast... And we're we're talking about you remember back in <laughs> December of twenty fifteen there was that thing that you and Wendy were talking about and I and you told her not to do that and blah blah blah. <laughs> and we'll let it out then. But yeah, um that's one of the best parts of working together on this. Um Sometimes one or the other of us will have an idea for something and it seems like, yeah, that's powerful or that's going to be really great. And the other one comes at it from a different perspective. And, and, and we do the what if and we get to a point where, oh, wow, yeah, you're right. That would not have been the best idea for that part of the story right then. Right. And arriving at such um, uh, points of cooperation is is a rush in itself because neither one of us alone might have seen but the interaction together makes it better than it could otherwise have been yes and in the end nothing's lost uh you know an idea that that might have been powerful and and uh high impact in the long run would de derail the story and at all costs, we never want to derail the story. Um, so there are there are places we will not go with the story, and and uh, at at the very least, the fans can trust us in that respect. Yeah, I think it. it on some level, it's obvious that um, 
that you guys are shepherding the story in that exact kind of way. But at the same time, again, it's really, it's a gift to get to chat with you guys this way and hear you say it and articulate it because, you know, going back to what I was saying a second ago about fan anxiety over like, is this going to be good or not? You know, it's somewhat reassuring to know that you guys are acutely aware of, of that, not only from the fans point of view, but from your point of view and from the greater storytelling God's point of view. Right. And so, um, it, you know, it's nice to know that you guys are, are, are thinking at that level too. Well, ElfQuest, ElfQuest may not be that commercial. It may not be fodder for a great commercial franchise, but we do consider the audience at all times. And Here's, here's what the audience, here's what all of you listening to this can trust. You can take this to the bank. Is, it, is the next issue that you are worried about, is it going to be good? Well, that's not a question that even can be answered. The question that you want to ask is, are you going to like it? And only you can answer that. Mm-hmm. And the other question is, can you trust us to be truthful to the story and the answer to that is always yes yes so we can take that to the bank folks yes and and don't think that we're not going to remember that you told us that you would tell us whatever that yeah. little jump of the shark <laughs> moment was because we I, will i'm taking remember. notes <laughs> you, you, yes you both well, have <laughs> evil minds yes that's why that's why we don't have to remember because you will yes that'll be for the wrap-up show in what is it 2017 yeah something like that oh god (laughs) (laughs) so yes don't 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 freak her out (laughs) i have a question about the cover of the most recent issue of 12 that was uh, a teaser image which was released uh, several years ago and uh People were freaking out about that when it came out, almost as much as Cutter was freaking out in the image itself. Um, and Wendy, you made a comment with regard to that image where you said to look for what's missing. And Do you have it in front of you? The comment or the image? No, the, the image. The image. Uh, I can pull it up here. Um, okay, pull okay. it up. All right, what's missing? Well, my what I think it is is... Uh, New Moon's scabbard. Uh huh. And I have no idea what that means. <laughs> this is why we wanted to ask this question because well, you know, the issue is out and we're looking at it and we're still like, what is it? That's and Lita missing? has her sleeves, so it's not that. Yes. <laughs> what else is missing? Uh, his sanity. Well, that's that's nice. <laughs> but... No, what else physical is missing? Well, he's not wearing his vest. Yeah. What else? <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm logging into Dark Horse here to pull pull this up. Yeah, help you now I have to stare it. at it. <laughs> um, his face. For- well, we'll go back to the scabbard. Yes, the scabbard is gone, and what new else? Moon. Well, new moon. There you are. <laughs> well, what does new that mean? Well, well, you don't think she's going to tell us that? <laughs> it means that for. A few moments at that particular moment of terror and revelation, he dropped it. And more than that, it's one of the most powerful moments in the story. He actually brandished it at Lita. Right, right. At Lita, that is how far 
into fear he had plunged. So it's very significant that New Moon isn't there right now. I noticed several issues before this one, too. Uh, he was contemplating the key itself, that, that is New Moon self. Yes. And I wonder... Uh... La, 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 la. <laughs> That's pretty much what we expected. <laughs> I'm trying to find. I'm trying to think of creative ways where I could get information out of the two of you. I can trip you up somehow. <laughs> Listen, Ryan, I've been doing this a long time, and it ain't gonna happen. <laughs> and we we've been fielding questions longer than either of you two together. Yes, we have been we have been questioned by experts. <laughs> Oh my god! I just had a vision of the two of you, you know, tied to chairs with a with a a swinging light bulb and like two edge and widow will, you know, grilling you for information. Oh, I've and already we, done that with Ember and the Jun. Well, that's true. Yeah, and <laughs> and we just go out, send our spirits to a happy place. That's right. <laughs> Speaking of um, right. Ember, uh, one of yes. the major. Uh, plot points of the first collection, the first six issues, was the decision by Ember and Tear to suppress the call of recognition, which is... Isn't that wonderful that the story is called Recognition and the recognition was the recognition that they didn't yes. want recognition? <laughs> I never thought of it that way, but yes, it's, it's pretty genius. <laughs> well, they were in recognition of the fact that they didn't want recognition. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it that motivated that plot point beyond the the story itself calling for it well apart from just uh, as richard pointed out so beautifully a few minutes ago being true to the story ember dragging a big belly around at that point in the story would would just have been the wrong timing in in every respect for her and for the tribe getting getting themselves settled in High Winds Holt. And, uh, and more on a biographical note, Richard and I chose not to have kids. Mm -hmm. So we know what it is to make that decision. Now, Ember and Tear are, are in later mode. Right. You know, they're, right. Going, they're, they're going to see if they can revive recognition later on. And... Uh, you know, that is perfectly truthful to both of them. But uh, the timing of it was just wrong. And you see, the elves have entered a phase in their existence where something like ref recognition, which had been in the past a biological imperative, the, po the powers that exist now because of the palace and because of all the changes that this entire race of beings is going through, means that they no longer have to succumb and give in to things that were imperatives before. Right, and that, that goes along with what we were just saying about the the ramping up, really, of, of the powers and, yes. and what that means. And, you know, yeah. and, and, and even back to the very first uh, commentary that we were having on this podcast about, you know, just the final quest being taking elf quest and putting it into like a much bigger sort of place than, yes. than the previous tales and storylines and series have, have ever taken us. Yes. And I think that's, a, I, I, I keep going back to that because that like remembering that is what is helping me wrap my mind around everything that's happening. <laughs> um, you know, like this isn't, this isn't a, an elf quest story like we've ever seen before. 
And re reminding myself of that is what helps me sort of navigate through all these, you know, pretty, I'll put it this way, Elf Coast ain't boring, right? I mean, you guys are doing things that we never expected and, 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 and frankly, sometimes have difficulty wrapping our minds around. And so, again, just putting the, the story in that bigger mythological concept and that bigger, um, you know, like what the characters are going through in terms of everything you were just saying, Wendy, it, it, it just helps us put all the pieces together so that as we go through this journey with you guys, it's, um, it's, you know, we're, we're making as much sense of it as we can until we get to that final issue and then go back and reread it and realize that, you know, there was so much there that we didn't even see the first time. So, well, I think you're speaking for many here and yet I can't help but remember that one fan that posted fairly recently that uh, they just thought the story was really boring and predictable and they're just really dissatisfied with it. Oh, isn't, geez. isn't it fascinating? Yeah. How, you know, what you just said and expressed and and as I said I think you're speaking for many, you know, to someone else they it's it's just not reaching them and and this is something you learn. Uh, you're you're just not going to reach everybody, and it's okay. It's really okay. Right. I thought your response to that, Wendy, was um, the the picture of wisdom and, and grace, um, and it was something along the lines of, "That's okay," and I hope one day you'll come back to it and and read it with different eyes. Mm. And I just again like for a creator to be faced with such negativity about their work and to have a, a such a positive response like that is is just pretty phenomenal um i mean it was it was well, uh, the best parts of sava coming out um, oh. yeah after 40 years we have literally heard every bad thing that can be said it's all very repetitive <laughs> now so <laughs> and, and, and there's stuff that that we have had to endure in the way of feedback and feedback is in quotes because I'm, I'm, I'm using that term to encompass much, much more than just somebody's comment on Facebook or a piece of email. Um, we have endured feedback that has been soul crushing and we have come through and we have learned from it. And um, you're not going to reach everybody. You can't. It's impossible. Um, so we're grateful for those that we do reach and who express themselves nicely to us. And um, we go on because we've got a thing to do and we're going to do it. And um, it's going to be the truth of what ElfQuest started out and will finish being. I have to jump in and say that even the people who have a negative reaction are being reached on some level. You know, I, it took me a while to learn this, that sometimes people have a negative reaction because you're really getting to them and they don't like it, mm. you know, yeah. <laughs> right. and they need time to process it. So, you know, praise and blame all the same. You both seem very <laughs> um, serene about the types of negative feedback you you are getting now. But was it always that way uh, when you first started out and Richard, you said it, sometimes you received feedback that was you, you would term soul crushing how did it affect you when you were first starting out were, did you feel the same way about it that you do now or do you have a, a more sort of nuanced perspective on it it sounds like you do well i don't think you can do something for as long as we've done this or to 
live for as long as we have lived, not that we are old, we're just experienced. <laughs> um, I don't think that you can do either of those things and, and uh, not develop both a thicker skin and a serenity about why you have a thicker skin um, and stay sane. Um, there were times when things that would get said or things that, uh, things might happen that would, um, affect us deeply. And we would wonder, uh, what had we done to, um, uh, I hate to use the word deserve, uh, to instigate, yeah. uh, uh, such, such feedback. Um, and it's only the passage of time and learning more about ourselves and learning more about people and, uh, learning a lot of things that, um, you, you don't have to take what somebody says to heart. I mean, sticks and stones. It's, it's really, uh, all about that, or as Wendy put it, praise and blame, it's all the same. It's just words. You can take praise too too much to heart and get a swelled head. You can take blame too much to heart and uh, go into a depression. Uh, so the best route is the middle way, mm -hmm. and you listen to it, and you choose what's good, and you choose what not to uh, let get to you, and um, I think we're both a, a lot closer to, uh, you know, a good place regarding, uh, criticism and, and, um, uh, oh, yeah. feedback. Also for me personally, the red, the whole red Sonia experience was a very good training ground, ground because it was controversial. There's no getting around it. Um, you know, I got lots of brickbats thrown at me for parading around in that chain mail bikini. <laughs> uh, well, you look great. Oh, thank you, sweetie. Um, uh, both verbally and uh, more importantly, in print, you know, stuff was written about me. And uh, being exposed to that before I even got ElfQuest started, I think was really helpful to me because uh, when ElfQuest got started, there were some, certainly some very, very negative reviews because the comics industry didn't quite know what to do with us at first. They didn't know how to react. They didn't... It, most people who were used to writing criticism about comics had never seen anything like ElfQuest before, and they didn't know how to evaluate it. And some of them some just flat out hated it and said so. Um, plus, plus, on top of that, this is how absolutely idiotic some people can be. As Wendy just said, nobody would seen anything like ElfQuest, um, as we have often humorously pointed out. It had everything wrong going uh, for it. We were doing everything wrong. It was black and white. It wasn't color. It was too expensive. It was the wrong size, this, that, the other. And it was done by a woman. But, and this is where the idiocy of certain critics uh, comes into play, not just, I mean, because there were some women in comics at the time working in the business, but not one who had done a stainless steel strip tease, which is how some people <laughs> saw the Sonya show, in front of an audience and made a burlesque out of it. How could anyone who would do that have the talent to do ElfQuest? Mm -hmm. 
And we only really recently learned of that particular criticism. And, and we just looked at each other and our jaws hit the desk. Yeah, because that, that one hadn't occurred to us that, you know, uh, that somehow portraying that character uh, pre-ElfQuest would follow me for 40 years and still color certain people's opinions of my abilities today. So, <laughs> wow, it's very strange, and um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they hadn't even seen the show. I mean, the show is up online for anybody to see now. And if you want a feminist message, I mean, holy cow, when I watched that thing, I'm like, whoa, was that ahead of its time? <laughs> and and so, all, all the people who were saying that it was you know exploitative and anti feminist and all that, they never even saw it. Yeah, that's funny. I want to talk about Drayon. Oh, yes. And what a hunk. <laughs> that, <laughs> yes. And, um, you know, thank you for showing him, you know, frolicking in the water. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm actually less interested in his hunkiness and more interested in his whole, his whole, like, singing thing and the vibrations and the hum and all of that, um, which, you know, is, 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 is obviously something you guys are emphasizing about him. And my poor, simple brain is having trouble kind of wrapping around what exactly that is. I mean, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a printed medium, we can't hear it, right? So uh, what can you tell us about that? Well, all will be revealed. This is this is an important part of the story that we can't talk too much about. Okay, okay, okay. But uh, but I promise you, you will know know more about Dreon in the next few eight issues than you know now, because he's going on the quest. He's going on the quest for Cutter. Right. And you're going to get to see him in action. And and one thing I will say about the guy is you learn about him through his actions. Well, I, I should hope so, since he doesn't talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, that's another little bit of work that the reader has to do, just a little bit, um, because comics, since their inception, have been described as words and pictures, and everybody has a vocabulary of reading comics, and there are words and pictures, which is why it's kind of neat that a couple of the... Um, uh, and this is a shameless plug, uh, a, a couple of the uh, stories that are going into the second Flesk publications book, ElfQuest, The Art of the Story, are essentially silent stories. Yes. And, and, mm. so, and so the emphasis is on the visual storytelling, the construction yeah. of panels and the placement of characters and the actions that the characters do without speaking a word. So mm -hmm. here is this character, Dreon, who doesn't have word or thought balloons to make it easy for you. And so who you're going to look at, you're going to have to look at and, and catch the nuances of what he does. Mm -hmm. Well, that in and of itself is 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 immensely helpful, and you oh. know we don't need to hear anything else spoilery because that you've just given us our marching orders, and we will diligently follow them. Well, I will tell you, he's tremendously comforting to me. I had to have a guy like him around right now because uh, with uh, you know everything that's going on in the story is as stressful to tell and draw as it is for you guys to read. So it's a tremendous comfort to have a guy like Dreon around right now. Now, is it 
Is it any secret where his name comes from yet? Ryan got it. And I, <laughs> I did? Shocker. I just Ryan. Yes. You are so psychic, Ryan. Okay. <laughs> I can't believe that. I Okay, so that's what it was. That's yeah. amazing. So uh, Andre the giant elf. Andre the giant, yes. Right. You see, but you see, uh, particularly, I mean, in any movie that Andre the giant was, but particularly the one everybody knows, which is Princess Bride, mm -hmm. he plays this solid plant feet on the ground, and you can throw six guys at him, and he's just going to stand there, and they're going to bounce <laughs> off of him. <laughs> And it was that kind of spiritual grounded strength that Wendy wanted to give to this character. So it is it is really a kind of a tip of the hat that that Dreon is going to be this may or may not be a, 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 a precise metaphor. But I always think of, you know, the rock that's in the center of the stream and the water is rushing around him. But the rock is solid. Uh -huh. hmm. If he could talk, he would say, everybody move. <laughs> oh my god that's he's, great he's such an intriguing character uh we're all so intrigued by who he is and and what his backstory is and oh, the I reason why he it. doesn't talk how did you come about um designing him like what is your process for even for his uh like his clothing and david and i have spoken about this how different he looks from the other elves not just his physical size but also what he wears and the fact that he's riding that awesome little pony there <laughs> that little no hum well yeah. he's meant he's meant to honor uh the russian and icelandic elf folk oh okay he is okay. he's most certainly he's he, there are most certainly icelandic elements in, in his clothing and and all the countries in that area he's meant he's meant to honor the hardiest strongest sturdiest of of the elf folk are we going to know more about him where he comes from and his people or la, 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 la. <laughs> <laughs> i just i hope everybody knows that la 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 could very well mean no but we're not going to tell you that <laughs> Why do I even bother? <laughs> you know, that's an excellent question. Yeah, why do you even bother? You're psychic, Ryan. You can figure it out. <laughs> but no, I, I was actually going to ask a question about um, about the character design. And so getting that little nugget of info that, you know, maybe this sort of, you know, northern Scandinavian, um, you know, yeah. influence was in his 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 clothing design and things like that. But I'm, I'm also curious about, like, what's your process for coming up with a, a new character? Like, do you, do you, do you think about hair color? And I mean, I know Dreyon, you, we've, we, you, you've made it a point to sort of point out his eyebrows, you know, and they're, yes. you know, like, so I'm just curious, like, what's your creative process there? Personality first. What's the personality? And then what are the features that will express that? So a character like Dreyon needs a broad face uh, he has great resting bitch face. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, There's one even I never heard before. <laughs> oh my God, you've never heard that? <laughs> he's, he's not given to smiling much. That doesn't mean he's a glum character. He's just not given to smiling much. Um, and so, uh, you know, I simply wanted him to project calm, uh, the, and, and Richard used the metaphor of the rock in the middle of chaos. Mm. 
I, I, I wanted his features to project that. So they had to be stronger and less delicate than many of the other characters. Mm -hmm. And so I chose the elements, the strong jawline, the, the heavy cheekbones, the, the heavy eyebrows, and the very, very um, fixed sort of placid eyes that would convey all of that. Right. And it, it certainly does. And, and puts the cleft in the chin. Yeah. yeah and, and I'm just kind of letting that sink in because my um, I, I don't get um, sort of a glum vibe off of him even though yeah. you're right he doesn't really walk around with like a big fat smile on um yeah. but the what i get is is serenity yes and it sounds like that's what you are what that's what you want if that's what you're seeing then i've been successful in designing him but wow. it's also it's also a serenity because there are many different flavors of serenity as far as facial expression goes too mm -hmm. if you look at him he's just He's so quiet. He's so still. His eyebrows don't jiggle up and down when he's wondering, and his, uh, his the, the corners of his mouth barely move. If he's thoughtful or a little happier, maybe. Mm -hmm. So it's a very, very still kind of serenity. Yeah, there's a peaceful aura about him. Yes. Yeah, and like I said, I needed a guy like that right now. I think yeah, we all sense. do. Makes sense. Final. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He helps me too. Wendy, you you <laughs> talk about um, finding the personality first of a character and then designing yeah. the physical form around that. And you mention, uh, like for Dreon, for instance, because he's more placid, that you would. Uh, organically a, a broader face is called for for instance is that something yes. that you studied as a as an artist uh, like how the human body can project or embody certain characteristics or is this something that you organically just feel you're tapping into as an artist well, I, I suppose there's a certain element of study of uh, uh, certain conventions of art, but I think it's more from mm -hmm. studying people. You know, people just, I'm, I'm just looking at people constantly, people I know or people I'm getting to know or people I don't <laughs> want to know. <laughs> and I just, I just I'm, a, I'm a human VCR. I just file stuff away. And then I can call on it later on when I want to when I want to express something in a character. I just kind of go through my files up there in my brain, and I say, "Well, you know, these different elements are needed." And also, I have to make each character look different when I design a new character. Uh, you know, I have to make them uh, stand out from all the others, and there are so many others. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so this is this yeah. is this is something else. This is something that that Wendy and I talked about recently that. I believe is going into Line of Beauty, which is the third book. And I think we were talking about Jack Kirby and, and what he perfected and what you have perfected is the silhouette. If you can draw a character in silhouette and know precisely who that character is without seeing the face, eyes, color of the costume, anything else, yes, then you have arrived at... at um, the distillation of of what it what that character 
means and is and looks like and feels like. And yeah, so every character in ElfQuest, if you think about it, go through every character, major character, has a different distinctive silhouette. Mm-hmm. You can you can fill the whole outline with black. You still know who that character is. That's a great test of character design is if you can recognize the character in silhouette. Well, That's, it's yeah. It's funny that we, that this is coming up because I happen to have um, the bumper sticker from the uh, original quest when the Wolf Riders first left Sorrow's End, where they're all howling in silhouette. Yeah, and I'm looking at it right now and. You're absolutely right. Every single one of those characters is 100% identifiable just mm-hmm. from their silhouette. Now, I say that with caution because I don't want you to get the idea that you could just, you know, just do silhouettes from here on out and not have to worry about doing all the character details just to save yourself <laughs> some time. <laughs> you mean I, I can't do a shadow play? <laughs> I mean, you no. guys have done done issues where there's almost no dialogue. Mm-hmm. So, you know... I could see you, you know, doing a whole issue in, in, in shadow. And that would be kind of awesome. Actually. John Byrne is infamous for having done an issue of alpha flight. I believe it was where many of the pages were stark blank white because it takes place during a blizzard. And all you have is the word balloons and the thought balloons of characters. Wow. It's not single. There's not a single drawn line no scenery, no nothing. It is white, white, white. So we're going to take and flip that around. They're going into caves. There's no <laughs> light. It's going to be pitch black. And that's well, uh, and you still tell the characters apart. I've done a few panels where it was just eyeballs, haven't I? Yeah. Yes, yeah. you have. And you did- Richard, that was, yeah. that was an issue of Alpha Flight? <laughs> yes. Yes? yes? Okay, so... I can I can attest to that being true, given that I live in Canada. That yes, it's <laughs> often like that in the middle. I don't, you don't see anyone. It's just uh-huh. white, and you hear. I, I don't recall if it was the result of a a bet between uh, John Byrne and maybe some other uh, creative people, or a joke, or this or that, and the other. I dare you to do this, and you don't dare John Byrne because he will do it. Yep, because he could. Because he can. And he got paid for it, too, which is what I'd like to kick him in the, you know, what's. <laughs> <laughs> do you have do you have plans to do something, uh, I would say, experimental like that with maybe not to that extent, but um, you, you've worked on issues where uh, it's been very limited as far as dialogue or word bubbles. I'm thinking of. Um, at the well, that's uh, at that's the- why Wolf- I can't wait for you guys to see issue 13. I was just oh, going to okay. say that because yeah. at the beginning of this conversation, Wendy alluded to that, and there are some pages in there that are in a style you've not seen before. Ooh, oh. yeah. very cool. Yeah. Well, you know, feel free to just shoot those pages over to us whenever you're ready. <laughs> <you know. laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so uh, we, we're we're a little bit over two hours now, and so <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember at the beginning said we're going to hold this to an hour, and I was thinking sure. to myself, yeah. You know, I have to say it. Um, we have just a, a couple more questions, um, uh-huh. and one that I definitely wanted to get to was our our wonderful new couple, Dart and Mender, and uh-huh. wanted to just uh, get your insight into their relationship and you know within the story, but also 
um, you know, outside of the story, your decision to, you know, to put them at the forefront, you know, the a same sex couple and, and you know, what motivated you to, to, to do that at this stage of the game and, and to put them out there as part of the story. Good storytelling that made sense. There you it know, is. Yeah. <laughs> that sums it up right there. In a very few words, yeah. as, as we have said forever, as you know that we have said forever, and as you yourselves have pointed out for a long, long time, there have been same-sex uh, couples in ElfQuest. There have been more than two-person relationships in ElfQuest. And we have gotten feedback. When are you going to do such and so? When are you going to show this and that? When are you going to be more explicit? Everything is in the service of good storytelling. Yep. And there's a term in, uh, in movie making. Something is a showstopper in a movie when something happens that just takes you out of the flow of the action and makes you wonder, now, what the heck was that all about? Or why is my attention being called to that right now? It's stopping the flow of the movie. That's why they call it a showstopper. They are death to a narrative. And until now, in our never humble opinion... <laughs> pointing such things out in the middle of the story would have been a showstopper and therefore would have been not good storytelling and dart and mender had to develop more um we we led into this by first showing a scene between them that that really is definitive of their relationship which is dart's questioning of mender's uh, use of his healing powers for killing. Yes. Mm -hmm. And they have a very interesting conversation where, where Dart says, yeah, well, sure, wound, maim, do, do whatever you have to do so we can get away, but you don't always have to destroy. And Mender had to take a look at himself at that point. I don't know how deep he's looked yet. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a start. He he has to look at the fact that he enjoys it. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, that's that's a very telling thing. One of the aspects about Mender that I enjoy so much is that sort of um, primal wolf rider uh, part of himself. And it's... Uh, yes. I think he's been described as schizoid at one point. Um, I think it was in The Gatherum. Yes. He has these two warring parts within himself i'm just concerned i yes. don't want to see him defanged really because i really enjoy that aspect of his character um so well see now what you're what you're saying yes. is i hope i don't dislike the next issue <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly right i mean and that, that goes for everything that we say right um that well i this much i will say I really, really, really like Mender. Okay. <laughs> if someone else were writing him, I would not want them to mess with him. Oh, so. good to know. <laughs> well, of the two, I, I agree with Ryan. I, I, I actually really like Mender, too. And part yeah. of it is that that sort of wild streak that he has. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I have to say I'm loving what you're doing with Dart. Um right. You know, and, and the way that you've kind of honored the the story, the past stories that took him to this dark place. Um, and then, you know, we kind of just kind of lost him there for a while. And the, the, the scene 
where you know Dart and Mender kind of really kind of acknowledge themselves, where Dart shares his you know his his loss and his grief at Shushan, and that dialogue that you guys wrote for them, um, you know where where Dart says like something you know something died, but like something that would have been never happened because of that, yes. and that to me was just such a beautiful way of summarizing Dart's character. And where he's been over these last 40 years, bringing him up to this point in the story where this relationship with, with Mender is happening. And it's almost like, um, you know, uh, the two of them together now are going to are going to bring something new into fruition. I think they are. Um, you know, the, that little scene reminds me of a, of a um, conversation I had with Sergio, Sergio Aragonas many years ago. You see. People have certain expectations of how two men will talk to each other, especially in a comic book. And um, Sergio, the first issue of ElfQuest had come out, and Sergio came up to me. I, I seem to recall that he actually had issue one of ElfQuest in his hand. And he flipped to the page where Cutter and Skywise are sitting on the hill, and Skywise is telling Cutter the story of the stars. And then Skywise says, what's wrong? And I remember Sergio pointing to that panel and saying, you know, you shouldn't do that. Men don't talk like that to each other. And I just kind of grinned at him and I said, elves do. <laughs> <laughs> and, he's, and he said, yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, well, also notice, yeah. you know, this is Sergio. He's coming from a... Latin macho macho uh, 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 perspective. Yeah, and and that particular two men of that mindset might not talk to each other that way. Exactly. But so. it's... nothing nothing in ElfQuest is uh, is what you think. <laughs> Go on, David. Um, no, I, I didn't really have anything else to add. Just that. Uh, well, I, I know what I was going to say is I was just going to laugh at your comment about their elves, which, you know, is <laughs> it's true. And that's I mean, how could he argue with that? He's going to argue with the elf lady how elves are going to act. I don't think so. <laughs> well, but that was I have to admit that was a bit of dissembling because I really do believe that men do talk like that to each other. And, and the way I the way I had Dart and Mender communicating with each other in their first love scene uh to me seemed very natural and uh yeah to me too yeah so we've talked about um dart and mender as one mm -hmm. of the uh the major couples of this story yeah uh, how about the other big couple who has experienced some major major plot issues moonshade and dart let's talk about them for a minute and strongbow i'm sorry moonshade. yeah moonshade and, and strongbow yes well, what do you want to know? Well, what what does this represent for you? Their their break, um, this this change in their relationship. How did this come about, and and what does it mean for them? Good storytelling that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I know, which but that's is, not. Is, that, we're not going to let you go on that. We got to go. <laughs> which is Wendy saying, "La la 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 la." Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, for me, this 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 plot development between these two is so weighty in the story in that it, 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 it just rings true to real life. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and so many people go through these kinds of things in reality. And on some level, it seems like a strange decision 
for you guys to put this into this this fantasy story, this this element of almost brutal reality. Now, for those of us who are ElfQuest fans, I mean, we've come to expect that. Um, and, and I think it's one of the things that makes ElfQuest great. But um, yeah, I think, you know, the, the, the question is just, you know, what, again, sort of like with, with Dart and Mender, why now? And, and I think, again, the answer is that it, the story was ready for it. Um, but no, um, to give you a straight answer, and I will, is it not totally symbolic of what is going on for this entire race of beings? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. The dramatic question is who will go, who will stay, who will pay, and what price? We asked that question in the trailer back yes. in 2011. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and to those who would then say, all right, I get it, but why those two? Because for most of ElfQuest, those two have been, you know, the couple, the there for each other, all of that stuff, David. You said earlier there's there's been brutal stuff in ElfQuest. We've not shied away from some truths. We've we've seen what happens, for example, in the very beginning. Rayx pride and hiding his insecurity and the effect of what that has on him and everybody else around him. And all through the story, there have been some hard truths to face. Wendy said, the entire race is facing a hard truth. You change or you die. Mm -hmm. Everybody is going to be faced with choices. And these are rock bottom bed foundation choices. Do I stay or do I go? Do I pursue this dream or do I uh, pursue that tradition? And these are two characters who have been around for a long, long time, and they have been around, and they have been together for a long, long time. But even as far back as the original quest, Moonshade had questions. When Strongbow stormed out, he essentially said, you with me or you with them? Mm-hmm. And she got a look, and she chose but you know she's never been his in his pocket mm-hmm. and i think a lot of people when they say but they're the, the most beautiful loving couple i think a lot of people simplify the appearance of that and turn it into something that they would love to have for themselves or they think they would love to have for themselves but it ain't necessarily so and now the stakes are higher than they've ever been Mm-hmm. And and in the midst of all that, to quote Tina Turner, what's love got to do with it? <laughs> we're gonna ex- we're gonna explore that too. Mm. Mm. I'm rubbing my hands together. <laughs> I think part of uh, part of what was so shocking about what's happened with them is that they have sort of represented the most traditionalist type of of couple within ElfQuest, where um, they are. The- they are the Republicans of the Republic. <laughs> yes, definitely. I mean, look at Strongbow is the the keeper of the way. Um, with yes. Moonshade, I would say a close second. Um, yes. And so to have the two of them experience this shift in the relationship really speaks to how momentous the changes in Final Quest are. That they're affecting these characters in such dramatic ways. Well, very often it's the most rigid characters 
who experienced the most shaking up in the hero's journey. Hmm. You know, it comes, there's the question, what's tradition got to do with it? Even traditions are not immune from change. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I really think, though, if, if I had to place money down that, and I was a fly on the wall when you guys came up with this, at least at one point in the conversation, one of you said to the other, you know, what is really going to, you know, get the fans freaking their asses off? And you're like, well, let's split up Moonshade and Strongbow. Boom, done. We're going to do it. What a manipulative way to look at it, Dave. You know, if we were going to go down that road, <laughs> we would have done the Strongbow is Moonshade's oh son, right? Wow, storyline. <laughs> but we got to see uh, True Flight, so that whole theory went out the window with Wolf Rider. Mm-hmm. Yep, right, right. Yeah. All right. Yep. So, so remember, remember, there are sharks that can be jumped, and we won't jump. Them. <laughs> well, speaking of sharks, yes, we got to talk about Reef. Oh, darling Reef. Okay, talk to us about that stunning character design of his complete form he's a little bit stinky (laughs) (laughs) what do you mean (laughs) i just well sometimes when i work with a character i can smell him (laughs) really yeah (laughs) all right now you got to tell us more (laughs) (laughs) well (laughs) what does he smell like (laughs) what is it he smells like salt and seaweed and he smells remember the dolphin's breath yes See, I wouldn't have known that, but for you. I um, I took Wendy out on a whale watch, and we saw some amazing, uh, a, a huge pot of dolphins swimming all around our boat, and we actually got to, you know, smell their breath, and it has the, the, the smell that Wendy just described. So yeah. um, that's pretty awesome that that inspired you to, you know, sort of understand this character more. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, like I said, human VCR, I took in that day, I took in the whole sensual experience of being as close as those to those dolphins as I could get and uh the way reef's skin looks the the sheen of it and uh whether he's in his his monster reef form or his regular reef form he's very dolphin like to me totally and, yeah and so uh you know he he has those aspects so you could say he's constantly reef forming <laughs> oh. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Yes, that is that is what you could say. <laughs> okay, well, tell me, what did you guys think when you saw Reef? You go first, well, Ryan. My first uh, reaction was gargoyles, and then I saw your comment on yes. Facebook, and I went, "Aha!" So that's yes. what immediately came to mind for me. Yeah, he's he's kind of a tribute to gargoyles. He's if I had worked on the show and they wanted an undersea type gargoyle, that's what I would have designed. I love that show. Oh, me yeah, too. Huge fan. Um, but I, so I, I love that as an homage, uh, and I, I can't wait to see what he's going to do next. I, I have my, my predictions as to what's going to happen, but I'm thinking obviously he transformed into this form in order to, uh, you know, kick some ass. <laughs> yes. Well, the form transforms, but he's still yes. Reef. So just, you know. Think out of the box in that direction. Okay. You know, yeah. the, the way he looks, he may not always behave the way he looks. Hmm. So, 
Well, yeah. from my reaction was, um, you know, it was, it, it, there was a, it felt familiar to me, um, oh. even at the, even while at the same time, it's so significantly different than any kind of look that we've ever seen in ElfQuest before. No. And go ahead. He's not the first one to do that. You've seen it before. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. To, to do what? To change his shape or to have a non-traditional, you know, sort of elfin form? Yes. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, you know, I'm, I'm playing with you, but think back to uh, another sort of honorary wave dancer. Uh-huh. Sunstream. Exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Under attack. Right, right. Hey. And his tentacles, his stinging tentacles, you know, mm -hmm. sort of emerged right. to he, help him out there. Yeah. He had he had morphed into that shape before, but before it was just, you know, a beautiful aspect. Yes. But you of all of us would know what I believe it's a, a lionfish mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh -huh. can do with those barbs. Exactly, yeah. And he well, didn't even know that, but the, the the belly ripper attack brought that out. Right. Yep. Mm -hmm. So where I was going, though, with it was was not that I, I didn't even think about Sunstream and the fact that there's some kind of similarity there to what's happening with Reef. But I'm thinking more of like the character design itself. And, um, you know, I think I think it. For for some some readers, it's a little you know shocking because it doesn't look like the way that you know other elves look, and even even you know the the, the other wave dancers or Tildak who is you know shape changed and everything. Um, but for me, it, there was something it, it it felt right. It looked you know like an undeniable Wendy Peeny character design. I feel well, I like. I was there when you saw him for the first time. I remember your reaction. Yeah. And so it's, it's, you know, it, it feels to me like a little bit like Godzilla. And then that immediately makes me think of Japan and knowing, Wendy, the influence that Japan has on you. Like, yes. I see that coming through a little bit. Um, and, you know, I mean, the undersea monster part, you know, I, is sort of the obvious piece of it. But I just... You know, even just the look of the character, and and that's what read to me when I first saw it was was sort of Japanese influence, and and also um, the this idea that I see, and I'm not a student of of Japanese anime or manga the way that that you are, Wendy, but it seems to me from like growing up watching cartoons like Voltron that there's this thing in Japanese animation of like. Of, of transformation like the, the 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 villains always were these like smaller things and then they always transformed into this like bigger monster that voltron had to fight and i you're kind of got that right. too yeah you're completely right there is a fascination with transformation in japanese storytelling definitely and yeah. that's that's what i read when i saw it yes i gotta well, I, I here's what I, in here what oh, we, let me say something quickly and then you take sure. your turn okay sure Here's what I'd love you to do is to go back to the discovery and look at Reef as the broken one in the discovery and then make the comparisons to how he looks now and you will see it's there. Mm, got it. It's the, the beginnings of what he is now is, is right there in what he was as the broken one. Now, 
I think, and I, this just occurred to me, this is not something that we talked about before, um, something that, that Wendy and I did talk about before had to do with his face and his expressions and so on and so forth. <laughs> and uh, you mentioned a certain other reference, and I don't know if you want that brought up here or not. Of course, go ahead. Um, David, you brought, you brought up some, some, uh, you, you first said Godzilla because of the undersea and you brought up anime, but what Wendy and I talked about was that there is a, a little whiff of, especially in the facial, uh, 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 structure and the fact that you're not seeing him do a lot of expressing, um, the creature from the black lagoon. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But on top of that, and this just occurred to me, um, the giant Majin. Oh, yes. Those, What's that? This oh. is, this is, this is a, a, a trilogy of films about a, a, a Japanese spirit that is embodied in this giant stone. Uh, you think it's a statue, but it comes to life when, it, when it's needed. It's basically uh, a Japanese golem. Yes, okay, and huge. But um, in Japanese uh, art and in theater, there are these masks that are very stylized, that are scowling with very curly cue features to them. And I'm thinking that I see some of that in reef, in monster form as well. Oh, particularly in the eyes. Uh, you're right. You are right. Yeah. See, this lady puts pulls stuff off of shelves that you wouldn't even think are in the same warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> and puts them together. Wendy, you mentioned um, looking back at Discovery at uh, the Broken One's form. Um, he was quite yes. twisted and, and uh, deformed at that point. Um, and that was due yes. to uh, Winnowill having in her sickness or, and, and pain, um, attempting to shape change Reef. So it, am I to understand then that Winnowill was in the process of transforming Reef into what he has now claimed for himself? Here's what I think, and you can buy it or not. Different people are perfectly invited to form different opinions of this because I don't okay. care. <laughs> honey badger. Yeah, I'm honey badger. I don't care. <laughs> um, here's the thing: she she was she was not in her right mind. She was in a bad state. Um, Reef had powers. Now, one of my objections to the, uh, one of my problems with the wave dancers from the very beginning was there were too many healers, yes. but healing is a form of shape changing magic. So I said to myself, I can work with this. The various characters that were postulated to have healing powers, yes, because they're so old, maybe some of their powers translated into being able to include healing. But uh, I, with Reef, I, I saw, thought or saw that shape-changing, self-shaping, was much more in line with the character. So... I really do think that what happened was almost like an electrical shock. He encountered her. There was, there was surprise. 
uh, it is said that he sensed that she was injured or ill and he was reaching out to her. I don't know with what power he was reaching out with, but I think whatever she projected conflicted with that and, and caused him to mm. warp. Uh, and he stayed in that condition for thousands and thousands of years. Uh, what happened when he finally got in the palace and allowed, he's been in the palace a couple of times, but this last and most recent visit, he really let some of the power in. He was, he was not afraid of it. And that's why he says when he changes shape right in front of his friends, um, a new knowing came upon me when I was in the palace, that I was not broken. I was unfinished. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I get chills at that line. I just got them <laughs> again, and Thank I don't, you. I don't know why I can't articulate it, but it's just powerful. And it seems that transformation is is one of Elf Elfquest's messages. Yes, uh, and I'm wondering if you can comment on that. Well, these characters are a fantasy for me. Um, in particular, back when I was dealing with severe physical limitation through uh, my osteoarthritis that had to be corrected with multiple surgeries. And I went through that uh, through Siege at Blue Mountain and Kings of the Broken Wheel was when I was dealing with that mostly. So these characters, this story was, was a wonderful outlet for me to imagine complete freedom of movement and, and more than that, the ability to shift and change your own body here I am having to be put under with anesthetic and carved up to make the changes. They don't have to do that. They, they can, through healing, through self-transforming, they can make the changes that they want because they are, they are beyond us in that regard and they have those powers. Here's another question for you, David. You said yes. that, line, that line gives you chills. He's going from this in quotes, traditionally beautiful elf form into this hulking, scary, superficially, monster form. I don't know. I think he's adorable. But <laughs> he's saying, I was unfinished. And I'll bet on some level you're thinking, so this is finished. Mm -hmm. And it's a apparently you know, horrible and scary or, 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 or whatever, monstrous. And what does that mean? Monstrousness is the equivalent of being finished. And finished is kind of a good thing to get to. Mm -hmm. And if you put those together, that, I think, would raise chills. Well, with Reef, it's always a question of personal empowerment, he, he had been a disempowered being for so long. And, and now his personal journey is, is to just find out what being empowered is. And that's going to take time. That's absolutely what I got from that as well. Um, I used the term claiming before. It feels like he's claiming his, himself. Mm -hmm. And he's, he's yes. owning what happened to him and transforming that into something uh, that's powerful for himself and healing for himself well said well said um and wendy uh, i i'm not surprised that 
you like his monster form. Don't you have a crush on the creature from the Black Lagoon? Always have. <laughs> and Triton, and Triton uh, Jack Kirby's original Triton, yes, right. absolutely. Yeah. Because again, sea beings, this, I mean, you know, this is one thing I like about uh, the sea elves is that it's a kind of flying, isn't it? It's a kind of weightless movement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, defying gravity is is always something that, uh, you know, since gravity hasn't always been my friend, is something that I have always enjoyed fantasizing about. I love that the wave dancers as a tribe are, are beginning to come into their own. And uh, there's there's been a real sea change. Um, <laughs> 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 You're not the only one who's punny, Richard. <laughs> uh, from how they were first depicted um, back in the '90s as a tribe, where they they came off as very morose and and uh, afraid, um, and then through discovery uh, with Surge, um, who was so controlling, uh, they started to really uh, come into their own, and it's just been this evolution since well i can i came to them late and and yeah. when i first met them because i had to work with them um the the thing that impressed me immediately was that they were totally fear-based and as i got as as i paid attention to the storyline i realized that this character surge was my key to, you know there had to be a reason they were fear-based and i realized that dramatically speaking uh, I could I could absolutely use Surge as as to the key of of what was wrong with these people. Mm-hmm. Well, if you had if you had a bunch of elves in the very beginning who wanted to get as far away from the horrific events of the palace crashing and the first comers getting slaughtered, they wanted to get as far away as possible. Yes, fear is going to be a motive, and it's probably going to get reinforced down through the millennia. And maybe uh, someone who is real good at embodying that fear is going to become the leader. And that's what you fastened onto and used as the catalyst in discovery. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I even uh, used the uh, concept of uh, some of the smaller characters, which were supposed to be children. But in my take on these people, they're, they're so damned old, they're like the gliders. So my decision was that these smaller characters weren't so, it's not so much that they were very young, it's that they had been stunted mm. by fear. You know, uh, uh, Surge not allowing open births in the open sea, uh, you know, uh, just everything all enclosed. So the, so the wonderful movement that these characters are capable of, he wouldn't allow. And uh, all of that made for good, some good drama. You know, um, I, liked, I liked working with them from that point of view because I'm all about, I, I don't like fear-based characters and, and uh, you know, my, my immediate urge is to get them out of that situation. Well, they've, they've definitely gotten out of that situation now. That's for sure. And, uh, I mean, yeah. brilliantly portrayed and, and exemplified by Brill giving birth to Korriface. Oh, that was that's one of my favorite things of all time. I'm I'm very very proud of that scene. Yeah, it's a, it's an a, amazing scene. And well, I think, as, I think you were right too when you said it's something like that has never been depicted before in comics. No. Yeah. 
No, because it's so easy, and of course people did, and I and I expected it. It's so easy for people to make crude jokes about something like that, but that is the way baby dolphins and, and other mammalian uh, underwater creatures are born. Mm-hmm. Yep, totally. Yeah, you nailed it. And David knows that only too well. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so you know, once again, ElfQuest provides a mirror in the form of the feedback that we get yeah. for the uh, for the people making the feedback. And it's endlessly fascinating to us. And I think going back, you know, feedback used to get to us a lot more. I think the fascination has has come to outweigh the, uh, the knee-jerk reaction of, oh, how could they? Yeah. Well, that strikes me as very healthy. <laughs> yeah, I really think unless it's a, a really straightforward personal attack of some kind, uh, you know, that we – we really won't sit still for because we're, you know, we're not a couple of milk sops. Um, you know, unless it's a really straightforward personal attack, we're, we're pretty sanguine about most stuff now. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, um, why don't we do two more questions? Great. Um, Ryan, do you want to do the, the, the question on Skywise? Yes. I was just talking about that. Um, so Skywise and Tamine obviously now have this connection. Uh, it's, recognition from what i understand oh say it like it is they're boffing their brains out (laughs) (laughs) why no i'm curious why why would you characterize it as recognition my well my understanding or at least my interpretation is that skywise and cutter recognized each other Mm -hmm. and the there was no need or ability to um procreate or fulfill that recognition for the sake of having offspring, obviously. All right, so you're, you're not using recognition in the absolute true term, which is that's, the biological urge. That's right. Well, and so, so the way I'm interpreting it, and I could be wrong, is that now that Tamane has revealed this information about herself and Cutter being one and the same, as far as their soul, um, that recognition can now be fulfilled in that respect. You guys want a little quest? Okay. Yes. Do you remember many years ago when I used to do Ask Elf Mom in the forum? Yes. I don't know if that, Richard, did that get frozen so people can go back and read Ask Elf Mom? They just can't enter anything? I suspect that's what happened. Okay. Yes, that, that, I'm pretty certain that is what happened. And right. Ryan would know best because he reads it like every every time we do one of these podcasts. He pulls out a quote from that. So right. <laughs> I want you to go back to Ask Elf Mom and find the question about Tamane. I think it was simply a question of what it, what is it like to be a high one? What is it like to be Tamane? Somebody asked, and uh, I gave everything away right there. Really? Okay. <laughs> is this, this isn't the quote that I brought up a couple of episodes ago, is it? About her connection with Cutter and Skywise? If, if you brought it up, uh, that... I don't know if it's... You guys have one. not heard the, have not listened to the last um, episode. So, Ryan, you might have brought it up then. Ah. So, so but... Um, yeah. Well, then totally... he already, he already, Ryan already went on the little quest. I think I might have. Yeah. Well, here's, here's the stumbling point. If two elves willingly give each other their soul names, that is not recognition in that anything needs fulfillment. Look at, at, at Redlands and Nightfall. Right. Back when. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They did that. There was no urge. Lord knows they wanted a cub, but there was no biological urge that said, all right, you've traded soul names. Now you need to do this. Mm-hmm. So I'm just I'm just making you aware that Cutter and Skywise did the same thing. They essentially 
gave each other the soul names, there's nothing going to transmit back through Tamain now because Tamain and Cutter share the same being. They, they are to one. To create that biological need between Tamain and Skywise. So did I, am I misinterpreting um, troll names and soul games? Because my understanding was that uh, when they understood each other's soul names, that that was involuntary. Well, I don't think recognition is ever voluntary. I think the intensity of their feelings for each other in that moment triggered it. Okay. Uh, you know, they were, as I recall, they were fighting. Yes. And, uh, you know, we simply have to allow that, you know, it may be that Cutter and Skywise are not the only male couple who have recognized each other in the history of the elves. It's just that they are the ones we have first shown people. Right. And recognition, recognition for two males has to be perforce different than the biological imperative of reproduction. We're probably going to have to keep explaining that because we're using the one word for two similar but in essence different phenomena. I think you just have to take Tamane at her word. She says our our bro- our, our soul's brother Far recognized Tam, but it is only through joining skins with Tamane that his his long cherished wish for a child of recognition will come about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that that made sense to me. Um, maybe I'm just not explaining myself properly, but it made sense because I took it to mean that there was no biological imperative for Cutter and Skywise to fulfill recognition because they couldn't. They can't. Um, no. They can't. And, and whether it was voluntary or involuntary, it's not the same. And I think uh, that's pretty... Don't, clear um but and, but, forget, but now that don't forget <laughs> cutter is and always has been to Maine. right so, so now that what she, was what was skywise recognizing exactly you know yes i think i think yeah. that we're on the same page definitely like i understand yeah and, and now that th- there is the option with to Maine, she's leaving it up to Skywise to make the decision. Yes, because she's a high one. Recognition is not something that controls her existence in any way. She is not she is not prey to the survival necessities that developed for the elves that scattered and went on to live throughout the the eons. Right. She That's is a high one. She is not prey to recognition. No, and that makes perfect sense. But yeah. neither is Skywise feeling any urge other than his natural Skywiseness either. Well, no, you have to take into account that Tamane says he has always had this hidden wish for a child of recognition. That's a wish. Yeah. That's optional. Tamane didn't say only by joining skins will it happen. She said it might. That's true. And he's not manifesting any of the, oh, you know, uh, uh, He's got other freaking things on his mind right now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but he would be feeling it. So the idea that all elves are becoming immortal and leaving the planet—how mm. um, does Skywise not see the sort of parallels to what Rayek and even Winnowill once wanted? La 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 la. la. <laughs> La. All we'll say to that is 
All we will say to that is, just as has been pointed out many times, that uh, there are aspects of ElfQuest that are to great or less extent autobiographical. This may be one of those. All right. Now, really mm. got us curious. We were curious before, <laughs> and <What>? now... <laughs> So thanks. Yeah. Anytime. What's, what's, what's busting my brain right now is that, that I was just busy writing part of this when, uh, when the uh, call started. Oh. oh. <laughs> well, again, that, that's that collective consciousness at work again, right? Yes. Yes. There, there was that moment in issue 12, uh, or was it 11, um, where Skywise, after having joined with Tamane, he sort of returned to the group, the, the chief's meeting, and uh, he said something along the lines, I'm paraphrasing, but that um, every elf has to go, essentially. Oh, he says this it, to Lita. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that that really uh, took me by surprise. I was shocked. Me too. And taken aback by that. Me too. La, you la, too? La, 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 la. <laughs> <laughs> Well, since we're obviously not going to get any more info out of them about that, yeah. um, <laughs> moving on. Let, let's move on to our, our last question. And this one is a little bit of a, a, a bigger, grand question for you guys to end on. Um, I, you know, I, I really feel like 2015 going into 2016, you know, we're really in the middle of an amazing golden age of ElfQuest in terms of the, the final quest and the great books that Dark Horse is putting out and the Flesk publications, art books, and, you know, everything else that has gone on, um, the, the adventure game, I mean, this podcast, coloring books, you know, I mean, it's like, it, I feel like we're in a place that we've never been, it's sort of at the the peak of, of everything ElfQuesty, and I'm just, I want to know from you guys, how does that feel? Oh, I'm just dizzy with it, absolutely dizzy. Um, I think that's a very good description, because dizzy comes in two flavors. You know, there's dizzy, giddy, wonderful, great, and then there's dizzy, vertiginous, oh my <laughs> God, where's the floor? I need to find my feet. Um, <laughs> you're absolutely right, David. It has been one hell of a year, and 2016 is going to continue that. Um, the things that are happening are wonderful. We're in immensely grateful to Dark Horse for all of their wonderful marketing efforts. Uh, we're insanely grateful to Flesk for the opportunity to do these three books. Uh, I think it was uh, Rob Biskitza, uh, or maybe it was John Flesk, I can't remember. It's one of those two who said, there have not been art books like this before. Um, and I'm incredibly thankful for the opportunity to be working on them. At the same time, having all of this stuff going on is incredibly potentially stressful because Wendy's got some insane deadlines for, for uh, working on Final Quest. I've got some insane deadlines for the Flesk books. We've both got those things coming together and... Um, there's only 24 hours in a given day. So it's a hell of a roller coaster ride. It's giddy. It's scary. We're not, you know, we're on it till the end. We, see, we seem to be up to it so far. I, I 
play a game with myself and I wonder if we could have handled it when we were much younger. I'm I'm actually more grateful that it's happening now rather than earlier. Who knows? Who knows? Well, that's good perspective. Um, you know, to to just you know be able to deal with this, you know, this this amazing um, wonderful onslaught of all things ElfQuest. So, I mean, I can say that we obviously are loving it and supremely grateful that you guys are, are, are continuing after 40, almost 40 years to churn out all this amazing stuff. And, um, you know, I mean, here's to the next two years and the rest of the final quest. And whatever you guys are going to put out, we're going to gobble it up eagerly. So, Absolutely. well, like I said, we're, we're happy to help and, you know, frankly, honored to be a part of the whole thing in even a small way. So um, well, I'm so pleased that uh, seeing how the sausages are made has not uh, deterred you from enjoying the story. <laughs> not in the no, way. I mean, it's I mean, what a gift to get little glimpses that I have seen of it, um, you know, and so uh it's it's enlightening and it's it's humbling that I've been so lucky. So um, again, I mean, thank you guys for everything. On the other hand, you're not getting to see how all the sausages are made. La 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 la. Uh, <laughs> well, like yeah, like David, I have to say, I, it's such a pleasure to be able to speak with both of you, and I thank you both for um, all of the the work that you do, and uh, it's just it's been a blessing really to be able to do this podcast with. David and uh, be a part of this. Oh, thank you so much. We enjoy the hell out of them, both listening to the rough and and then listening to the finished. And uh, we know that the fans, just the comments, are wonderful. So I'm I'm so proud of you guys for getting so many views on your last podcast, and I know this one will be even more. I think I think your last podcast really helped people come to grips with issue eleven. I hope so. I feel like we're offering therapy or something. (laughs) (laughs) It's self therapy for us because I know I I know it like as evidenced by the fact that we rattle on for three hours sometimes. That it, it it's it helps me process everything to be able to chat with Ryan about it and get his insight and you know his uncanny you know predictions that are so often are like spot on and so I can only imagine that for everybody else that's out there listening that they're having a similar experience so um uh, this has been so much fun thank you so much it's one of the best hours I've ever spent (laughs) (laughs) on that note we are going to sign off Thank you guys so much for for being on the show. Thank you for you know creating ElfQuest and bringing all this awesomeness into our lives. And we cannot wait to see the second half of Final Quest. Well, well it's coming. It's, it's coming, coming. Believe me. Thank you both too. Thank it's been you. Great. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. The music you heard throughout this episode was a track called "Call of the Ancients" from the album "Eternal Saga" by Anti Martikainen. And that track, plus thousands of others, are available royalty-free for your multimedia projects from jamendo.com. That's J-A-M-E-N-D-O dot com. Thanks for listening, everyone. Till next time, Shade and Sweetwater. <laughs>